Hi there, wrongheads. Siggy here. You may remember part one of our epic conversation covering the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least the entirety that had been released as of May 2018, because that's when we recorded part one. And that didn't get posted until some months later, and now we're posting part two, even though it was recorded back in January of 2019. These things take time to edit. All those moments that sound like free-flowing, witty repartee between myself and my cohort, Wade Carney, are really the result of hard editing labor that Wade puts into his cutting room where he slices magnetic tape and splices with scotch tape. No sponsorship necessary. So these things take time. Therefore, I hope you'll understand that our rankings do not include Captain Marvel because we had not seen Captain Marvel. Nobody had. It wasn't finished yet. Just so you know, when you hear part three, then we'll talk about Captain Marvel, then we'll talk about Avengers Endgame. We'll get to all that. But for now, please enjoy this long and fruitful investigation. It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's his sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. Hi, welcome to You Watched It Wrong yet again. My name's Wade. I'm Siggy, and this is the podcast where we hang out for a good long while and talk about all the things we've watched and what we think about them and how we got it wrong. And how. But you didn't get it wrong because you chose to listen to us do it. And you can sit there and think how wrong we are and how wrong I think he is and how wrong he thinks I am, but we're not a nation of division. No. Are we? We are a nation of mutual support. We are reaching across distances to find out what the other person thinks and try to get on their level that's right everything's just peachy dory so we're not talking about politics this episode what are we talking about wade well if you had listened to the last episode the mcu part one it's only natural to assume there would be a part two we even said at the end of the last episode we had so many exciting other categories to do and that we expected to not take that long well here's the thing uh, dear friends, is that we actually did them. So we recorded the entire thing of the Marvel mm-hmm. Cinematic Universe, but I don't know what's, what happened. Something happened somewhere out in the universe because 50% of it disintegrated. Oh, no, my dear boy, 80% of it. <laughs> it was all gone. It, 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 it dissipated. It, it was par- Oh, it was part of the 50%. I'm sorry. I get you it You mean now. 80% of the second half? Yeah. yeah. Because the second half was the 50%. <laughs> I was referring to. Yes, you're right. You're correct. You're correct. The, the percentage snap, the snap. disintegrating you might have heard of happening in a Marvel-related event recently. That's where I was going. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just a small example of the prime A-plus quality joke ruining you will receive from me. That's a Wade Carney promise. So anyway, in the spirit of trying to undo history, the <laughs> last minute or so being uh, an exception... Um, let's, uh, let's come up with a plan that's going to work. Whatever it is, we're going to jump in through some kind of portal of something or other, and we're going to rescue that other 50%. 
if we have to sacrifice ourselves in the process, then I don't know if part one is going to disappear from your feed. If we finish part two, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to find out. This is going to work, Siggy. It has to. Because like I say, how do you know? Well, uh, well, I set you up no, because you say yeah, it I, has to. Okay. No, I know. It's just, it's just, it has to because if I don't, if it doesn't, I don't even know. We've not seen that movie yet. Yeah, we need some punch up uh, on this podcast. Now, speaking of which, this brings up a good point. Our previous recording of this particular episode uh, died a horrible death, uh, as you know. That was recorded back in May of 2018. A while back. That was a while back. Uh, Prior to the events of Ant-Man and the Wasp, prior to the events of the Avengers Endgame trailer release, and most unfortunately, Stan Lee's passing. So there's a considerable amount of distance between the first half of our list and the last half of our list uh, and a lot more things to talk about. So very excited to continue, R- just wallow around in the, in the mud sty that is the Marvel, MC- Marvel MCU <laughs> universe. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you. Couldn't have been said better. Um, so in one sentence or less. Mm-hmm. Would, if the uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp had been out when we did part one, would it have affected any of your ratings at all? Um, Since I lost that list, I can't say with 100% certainty. I lost it in the computer crash. But I would say no. I would say no. I would say no. Ant-Man and the Wasp was a very middle-of-the-pack movie, I think. I will say it did affect this one. But we'll get to that. Well, will we be mentioning that movie later? You're going to have to... Either listen or fast forward to find out, folks. Well, let's get in this. Uh, we have uh, hopefully not four hours ahead of us. <laughs> Better not be. But to help uh, avert such a disaster, let's uh, let's start ranking things, shall we? We shall. Oh, one, one more disclaimer. Oh, let's not get started yet. Since Siggy and I have done this before, we had heard each other's takes, but I have forgotten them now. So I don't really remember what you do. However, I suspect that since mine, ha- I had to totally rewrite mine uh, just recently because of last my computer crash and I lost my list as well as the recording. So I'm sure mine has changed because I'm a human being and I evolve and my taste has changed. <laughs> so I would be surprised to hear if you say thing if you go, well, that's not what you said last time. I'd be... yeah. The inter- uh, it's curious. funny, uh, my memory is not so good for movies, but I think I remember all of your responses to all of these oh, really? categories. <laughs> so what you're saying is you listen to people and I don't. I think that's what that, that inferred. And you know what? I'm starting to come to realize maybe you're right. Who are you again? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see if we can get my name right this podcast. Okay. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> Category one or category uh, her, her, her. eight, whatever. Um, Let's just say. We're in part two. Okay. Non-super good guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, you may recall we had a debate <laughs> last year about what that meant. Um, constituted a, a super, I took a non-super good guys to mean good guys that aren't superheroes. They might have powers or they might do things that are actiony, but if it's just part of their job, I don't count that as a superhero. And by part superheroes of their job, go above you mean... and beyond. They step beyond what's expected of them. 
So like because somebody uh, flew a spaceship around the galaxy, but th that didn't constitute a superhero. If you're an Air Force pilot and you do Air Force pilot things, you might be a hero. You might even have a super jet. But if you're in the mm -hmm. super Air Force. Yeah. Then you're not a superhero. You have to go. You have to go above and beyond. Uh, but police officers like can't be superheroes unless they're like defying their authority or somehow skirting the rules or, or I don't know. We could get into this, this body, could be a whole. Uh, this could be a a, a a whole separate debate sometime. Yeah. So did this fall under the uh, what was the Black Widow conundrum? Did we come to a oh well she's a superhero obviously. Right, but like, why? <laughs> why? Um, they send Under her, your definition, they send she's her still in, doing her job. They send she her. She has in. no. Go ahead, you go. No, 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 no. I was pretty much done. You asked me a question, I started to answer it, but then you kept talking, so I was confused about what was happening. That checks out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Black Widow. Scarlet. Yeah, Black Widow is a superhero because they send her to do the jobs they wouldn't send Agent Coulson to do. Mm. Right. Okay. Anyway, okay. Uh, Non-super good guys. Top three. Okay. So many good choices. I thought this might have so been many. the hardest one to choose from from Bounty of, of Riches. This is something that MCU does really well. Right. The supporting characters. That's true. Yeah, this was very, very hard. Well written, well cast. They, mm -hmm. they tend to get very charismatic players and then give them like juicy, juicy scenes. Well, you know, they get characters, and if they're going to get characters, they're going to get the the side supporting characters. Main right super too. villains, I mean, not so much, but everyone yeah. else tends to be really good. Yeah, right. Okay, want to give me your number three? All right, my number three. Okay, I'm going to give you a quote of one of those lines. You tell me who it is. Okay. Oh boy, we're back into game shows. Okay, <laughs> it's it's a hard habit to to break. Um, I'm looking at. Pornography. Yeah, that's Ned Leeds. <laughs> Ned or Leeds. Ned, I don't know if they ever say his last name. They do. He's the, Jacob Batalon, who, boy, mm -hmm. he was in my top five. He was he was battling to get in there. I'm glad you said him, so now I get to go yeah. uh, a curveball choice. Oh yeah. Well, I don't. He was a really. Um, he he was neck and neck with one other guy, and I'll bring him up later in case he's on yours. But uh, I'll tell you why he won out, why Ned won out over the other choice for the third spot. Ned Leeds from Spider-Man Homecoming. That guy's, a, he stole every scene he was in. Yeah, and that scene was his best scene, too. I mean, he had, oh, he yeah. had so many good scenes. Um, okay, my, um, my number three is um, The Cloak of Levitation. Talk about a scene stealer. It's kind of, it's a scene stealer. It's like, it's always a delight whenever the cloak yeah. of levitation gets something to do. Um, it's like a great piece of CGI puppetry. Like it has a very mm -hmm. distinct personality. It's like, it's kind of like his uh, pesky dog, which I just got a yeah. puppy who's uh, being extremely pesky That's right, right now. Um, so I can relate. But yeah, cloak of levitation, just because I wanted to, Get that in there. <laughs> that is an excellent choice. And only gets one or two scenes a movie. Because okay? you should not get any more scenes than that. Right. No. They don't overdo it. Right. They don't overdo it. But, you know, when it um, pops up and it does something for him, like, oh, yeah, this cloak can, like, 
as a personality. Well, he he does almost save the day. Remember when he in Infinity War when he slips some uh, uh, the, the unconscious Doctor Strange is able to slip out of that uh, bind the Maws got him in. Yeah, yeah. The cloak's so the cloak, awesome. Cloak's awesome. Everybody would like a friend like the Cloak of Levitation. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet it's cozy. Right. Like I'd sleep in it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, but now actually, I I have one, I have one question, actually, okay. one thing that's bothered me for a long time. What's that? In the beginning of Infinity War, the first time you see uh, Doctor Strange, it's Doctor Strange and Wong on the steps that the, that the Hulk crashes through, right? Okay. And they're talking about going to the deli. And Doctor Strange is about to walk out, and he's in street clothes, right? The crash happens. Banner, Hulk crashes through. And then it cuts to the wide shop. The Cloak of Levitation swoops up to him, right? Out of nowhere. The cloak levitation swoops on to uh, Doctor Strange, and he goes up. And in the reverse shot, Doctor Strange is wearing his Doctor Strange costume under the cloak. Magic. And I'm like, okay, so did he have a spell on his outfit? Or did the cloak change his clothes real quick? <laughs> Either way, it bothered me. I, I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't need that. It was too many questions. <laughs> Might have just been a bit of a continuity problem. Yeah, I don't know. I what don't do you know. think uh, the cloak's name is? Like, it needs a better name than Cloak of Invisibility. Cloaky. I mean, <laughs> I would go for Chloe. Oh, that's a nice one. What about Steve? We are, we've just already got a Steve. Oh, that's right. That's right. And all the heroes are on a first name basis, so you can't have two that's Steves. Right. You can't have Steve. I just always wanted to call a dog Steve, just because I thought it was just the. I don't know. So have I, I mentioned mean, I just got a dog? I just got a dog. Want to see pictures of my right? dog? Of course I do. Uh, one of my, I'm jonesing for dogs. My only rule for naming the dog was I can't have a name that will meet anybody who has that name. Oh, okay. I was going to yeah, say no human names, but I would go for an obscure human name. That'd be fine. Like Aloysius. Aloysius. That'd be fine. Uh, but then you'd be calling her Allie and... You know, alleys something from mythology could be good, but I always thought it was cute to name. I used to think naming a dog um, or an animal after a food like pickles, yeah, or pork chop was that's, fun. That's a great but choice. Then I, but then it's weird. Like, like I hated it when they named little little like pigs pork chop because it's like that's what that's how they die. Well, that's a little too yeah. on the nose, right? Right. Naming a pig pickles. Oh yeah, as Richard yes. Scarry has shown us, is uh, oh. <laughs> is delightful because it's delightful. It's orthogonal and, to and, to the animal. Um, my favorite uh, naming scheme for pets is to name it after another animal, like a dog named Tiger. Oh okay. Um, my grandma had a dog named Tiger. Uh, it was not a dog she stole from the Brady Bunch. It was a different. <laughs> I'd like to not. An antlion. That's or a dog named dog Fish. Name. A dog named Fish would be a good name. Mm, oh, yeah, that's a great name. But a fish now, named Dog, sh- not as good. Not as good a or name. A... Think on that one. Okay. Or a your... man named Sue. Oh, wait, <laughs> did, you want to, did you want to divulge the name of your dog? Or you want to keep that, play that close oh, to the um, Let's see if it comes up later in conversation. Okay. I don't know why anyone would bring up my dog again. Except she's really cute. Wait. If I go through Chicago restaurants, maybe I'll hit it. Um, okay. 
like a golden one, like a golden. Oh, you're uh, you're teasing. I see. I'm teasing, right? Okay. As if there's like, dog as if you're referring to one like extremely famous Chicago restaurant, everybody would know here. <laughs> well, I was teasing. Golden Apple. It's... Is it? Is this dog named <laughs> Apple? They're on Broadway and Uptown. <laughs> All right. We're doing a non out of Wow, that was quite a diversion. We're uh, non-superhero good guys just to catch you up. My number two, right? Yes. Is Okoye. Excellent choice. Yeah. She's, what What else could I say? You Okoye, could say why. Okoye, She's Okoye. your number two. No, I, Do I have to? She's awesome. <laughs> She's loyal. She's complicated. She's well-written and well-performed in every one of the, in each movie. She. She can stand next to all these other... Like Infinity War, I was just as much concerned and, and impressed by her. Concerned for her safety and impressed by her abilities and her prowess and her cunning as I was the other godlike superheroes there. Yeah, she was just as important as everybody else. And that's a huge... I mean, that was just... <sighs> and you don't count her as a superhero. Yeah, and it's weird. I mean, she's she's in the same... Uh, era as um, uh, Black Widow. To so be you honest, think Black Widow is not a superhero. Well, by your definition, saying? she's not. But in our definition, thing that she's one of the major headliners. Yes, he is. Wait. So, so would you consider by whose definition consider, Black Widow isn't a superhero? I was going to say by your definition, she's no, I think not she a superhero. Is a but you think she is? Yeah. <laughs> it goes against your own definition. I think. I don't think so. Oh, we don't okay. need to get into that. Because she's okay. out of my list, so we don't well, argue about that. Is it is it awful to say? I just wanted to mention Okoye, and uh, she was going to make it on another list <laughs> on the superhero list. <laughs> she's awesome. She is awesome. Okay, my number two, Luis. Okay. Ah, yes, from the Ant Man movies. Michael Pena steals every scene he's in. He's like, he's like the bench teams uh drex the destroyer for me like this every scene mm -hmm. he's in i'm uh -huh. all my attention's on him i'm like waiting for the brilliance to drop and he just cracks me up to no end that's excellent the luis was going to be my number three he was my number three for a long time uh and uh ned edged him out uh, when I was making remaking this list and the reason why it, I struggled with it I was like it was gonna be a tie Luis and Ned just had to be, and you you said you cannot have ties. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot have ties because I had too many ties last time I think, um, and I Ned I I thought about it for a long time and here's why Ned edged him out, is that Ned Leeds is so great because of a combination of uh, the performer is awesome, and he's well written. He's well written in the story. He's well written as a in a voice. He's well written in the movie. Ant-Man, well, he's okay. It's okay written. He's a great character. But Michael Pena, Michael Pena is really, I think, what makes Luis amazing. Because, I mean, it was his kind of riffs and improvisations, I, I believe, that, uh, that not only affected the movie, but actually had made them have a, to write a whole new ending. His whole going on, talking for a long time, and running the stories and telling stories that way, that was just something he had, was improvising and they just kind of realized that was gold and went with it. So like, I don't think that the script was written as well for Luis as, as the script wasn't as good as Michael Pena, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I, but yeah, Lu- Louise, uh, the Louise character does not have nearly the heart that uh, that the Ned character brings to Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah, Lu- and, and his relationship with Peter means a lot more. Um, yeah, in the story than Louise's relationship does. Right, but there's no denying that Michael Pena is just a powerhouse. <laughs> Whoa, we, he, he's okay, a comedic. A he's a comedic powerhouse. You have a second member of the Pantheon. <laughs> Rick Brannis one, Michael Pena two. <laughs> May I said, Madeline Kahn. Prepare a uh, second maybe, bed. Maybe she's in too. the house of comedic power. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with my number one. Um, my number one is Okoye. So oh, okay, good, good. Uh, I was trying to stoke a little drama there. Um, <laughs> uh, my number one's Okoye. Oh, so you were um, okay. I, I don't put her in the superhero category, okay. so I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I, I just wanted to know your your thinking. I don't have thinking. Um, that was established. <laughs> um, I mean, she she's she's doing her duty. She's yeah. she's a she's a guard, and she refuses to to step beyond that duty. In fact, yeah. Um, to my great disappointment when watching Black Panther, because I thought Okoye totally stole the movie, mm-hmm. um, and what I really when. Uh, when Killmonger, when Eric Killmonger challenges T'Challa to the throne and they have their battle and T'Challa loses and goes over that waterfall, mm-hmm. at that moment, T'Challa had been so upstaged by Okoye in this movie, <laughs> I was totally fine sitting in the theater with, well, T'Challa can die and Okoye <laughs> should just challenge Killmonger yeah. and become... Queen of Wakanda, that would be awesome. She'd be so much better than T'Challa because T'Challa was kind of, you know, T'Challa was a total badass in Civil War and like in Black Panther, I really didn't feel like, I felt like he was kind of the weakest part of that movie. I remember you said he didn't show uh, up to really his own movie. I really wasn't feeling yeah. him. Yeah, he really didn't. And Okoye was kicking all this ass and she's she's the badass in there. And uh, I'm like, she should become... She should challenge, you know, and that's like her arc. She has to step beyond her duty. That's when mm-hmm. she becomes moves into superhero territory. And, uh, you know, that's where Steve Rogers, you know, would do is he would do what he thinks is right in his heart. Not what some rule written down somewhere says he should do when he knows it's not right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And uh, Okoye takes the throne and then T'Challa, he can recover. He doesn't have to die. He can recover, and now he's free. He's unfettered from uh, his politics and responsibility, and he can go be a rogue uh, Black Panther uh, roaming the globe and kicking ass like he did in Civil War right. again. The ghost. That's, the go- that's what you – That's you how t- I would have written the second half of that movie. Like he's presumed dead. Okoye reigns, but there is a now a, almost a vigilante Black Panther out there, a ghost panther. That yeah. – yes. That would have been awesome. And, you know, Okoye, like, she still feels now on the throne, like in the next Black Panther movie, she feels constrained by her duties, but she, like, calls on Black Panther to right. uh, take so, care of the stuff that she feels like she can't. So, she, But she would she would, she would be a Black Panther as well, though, right? She would have the... the... No, well, I they think she's got to be Okoye. They, they, well, she didn't burn everything yet. She's got to be Okoye. So you're saying she would be like King Jim Gordon. Not to de-emphasize Except, that yeah. role. Uh, Jim Gordon. 
No, she'd be so much more ass kicking than Jim yeah, totally. Gordon. She'd be like, well, she'd be uh, an actual king. Up, but... She wouldn't be going. She wouldn't be going. Oh, I can't do this. Let's get Black Panther to do it. it would, no, yeah, no, she'd be a total. I mean, she'd be like. Uh... She'd be like Stannis Baratheon and uh, and Ned Stark wrapped into one. She'd yeah. be like a total hard ass um, with a profound sense of justice, um, but would feel really bound by honor as well. But part of her would know what was the right thing to do. Right. Always had that card so to play. She, yeah. And so that's when she calls on, on Black Panther. Or Black Panther just like knows to show up. Black Panther, they special ops. complicated relationship. Where T'Challa knows that he, the throne is rightfully his, right? Or you know, should it's his birthright. It's his birthright, yeah. and he's jealous. And then you got this whole, but then he also conflict this complicated yeah. relationship with them. Like it's all set up. Your next two movies are set up right, right there, because that would be interesting to know that to have uh, someone who, you know, this this ghost Black Panther out there, who, yeah, feels the throne is his birthright, but also knows she's doing a better job. That she's more suited right. for it, so yeah. there's, shame, there's really... shame in there too, you know. A little, well, not shame, shame, a little bit like like he's saying I should ha- want that, but she is doing a better job. But it's really mine. But I'm doing a better job here, and she's doing a yeah. better job there. She's more decisive than he yeah. was, and she's got a fucking spear that shoots laser beams. <laughs> I mean, yeah, come on, Black Panther. <laughs> Why didn't you have yeah. that? <laughs> it's much cooler than claws. I'm sorry. Very true. She doesn't need armor. No. She like wears armor. Her armor is like a three inch band around her neck. Right. That's all she needs. <laughs> she didn't, right. didn't even wear a hat. <laughs> no, she hated when she had to. She had a wig, remember? Um, okay, so that's my number one. Good number one. Okoye. Hollywood, send lots of money via PayPal to you wash it wrong at happypanic.net. And we will. Write those movies for you. There you go. We'll rewrite Black Panther and you can re-release it and make even more money than the first time. Yeah. And, we'll and there'll it. be no... You won't experience any political problems having us two white guys write the next two Black Panther movies. Hey, you know, a good idea is a good idea. A good idea is a good idea. Fine. Okay. All right. So my, now the big reveal. The big reveal. My, our very first of 12... cat. No, more than 12. Yeah. Oh, God. Of category um, uh, reveals very first category is uh, my number my number one not superhero good guy Peggy Carter ah, ah Peggy wait Peggy Carter which, uh, Pe- Peggy's the um, the World War Two yes not Sharon one, not, not the, Sharon Carter not the Sharon Carter Peggy right. Carter yes Cap's Cap's best girl she I mean she's 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 great she's great. And and the only the the sad thing about her series, which I enjoyed the hell out of, uh, although I don't think I ever finished the second series because they took it off Hulu, but they canceled it. They just took it off, and I didn't get to see it before they took it off. But um, the only, I mean, it was sad that while it was awesome to watch, the show was not as good as she was. She was great, yeah. and the show was just wasn't up to her level. Um, well, that's kind of a Marvel TV show. Right, yeah. Thing, right. And uh, but but of all the things, uh, um, the great thing is that yes, part of my love of Steve Rogers is because of this Peggy Steve relationship. But I love Peggy. No, it's not because of that that I love Peggy. There's a couple of things. Oh gosh, these are more. We have a category coming up of uh, our top three, bottom three moments. 
Then save it. I know, but it. this isn't on there, and I wish it was because I. Okay. Uh, but it's the moment when um, Steve comes out of the chamber uh-huh. for the first time, and she sees him for the first time, and reaches out and touches his chest, and oh, suddenly realizes how inappropriate that is and draws it away. Apparently, also, an improvised moment that may have not even been improvised because she said in an interview, which I don't know, it could be just a. She could just be making it a great story. But she said that they didn't let him, her see um, Chris Evans in his full regalia or full, you know, you know uh, buffed out chest until that shot, until they filmed that shot because they wanted everyone to be kind of impressed by him, by his physique at that moment. And so, like, when they opened it up, when they opened him up, they had the shot with her there and she did, she said that was not her character. She just did that. She didn't even realize she was doing it. Like, that's a completely honest moment of her just going, oh, oh God. <laughs> Which also seems like, who does that? But Workplace harassment. Yeah, I'll say. Come on. Uh, also, uh, when rewatching uh, the first Avenger, I uh, saw a moment that I, I really loved. It was, it was right after his creation, and then the assassin who shot Erskine, Stanley Tucci, is running out. And mows down the old lady with the Tommy gun. And then before... So by first Avenger, you don't mean the first Avengers movie. No, I mean, mean the first Captain, Captain America, America first movie. Avenger. Right. Uh, and, um, and Peggy runs out in the street to stop him. He gets into a cab and drives away. She sees him and she aims her gun and she's going to shoot the cab. And then they do what I think they're going to do in every other movie. Especially, they, have, they want to show the woman's tough. But then they want the guy to really do the thing. So they got to show that she was going to do it, but then make it impossible for to her have done it. So they'll let then the guy swoop in and do it, right? So they make this great little moment where Peggy comes out and aims her pistol to shoot the taxi cab. And then the guy in the taxi cab pull, I think, I think if I'm getting this, remembering this right, he pulls out a little a detonator and he hits the button and it blows up the car behind Peggy. And she, she, you know, um, flinches to kind of protect herself from the blast but then she comes up and takes the shot anyway and kills the driver it's awesome it's like it's like you did that thing to distract her to keep her doing it but it's not going to stop her she's going to do it anyway you know and then captain america comes out and does the rest of the thing but like that i, I don't know it's like that's that's peggy to me i love it awesome murder i was hoping you'd tell that story because you told us so well the first time we recorded this. oh good okay. and i'm sure it wasn't as the oh wow so i was on track okay good uh bottom three bottom three worst three non-super good guys i'll go first you go first sif what she's boring as hell come on tell me okay tell me one interesting thing about Sif. uh she was on agents of shield too no, <laughs> no, that's not. No, uh, she, no I, I like her. Be, I, 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 I like the, what's interesting about her is that she's like, she seems to be the person that's kind of meant to be Thor's love interest. And she gets. Except. Except that doesn't happen that way. And it's just kind of like. Mm. And there's no chemistry and. Right. Nothing interesting happens while she's on screen. Eh, okay. Point taken. Including anything she does. <laughs> well, I'm not going to okay. sit here and let you piss on her. So I'm going to move on to my bottom three. 
You're um, number three. Your well, third worst. I don't. Uh, this was hard for me. I, I had a really hard time coming up with some of these because most of them were you in the. Prefer to champion. You don't like to. Uh, yeah, I don't like to piss on people. Um, like and and this one, even fictional. This one, I don't want, really want to piss on either. But I had to admit, it, as much as I wanted to deny it, he, he bothered me. Um, I did not like the way the portrayal of Dum Dum Dugan in First Avenger. Ah, uh, really? Um, I was glad you just wanted more. I was glad. Yeah, he, he. I was glad. Uh, I mean, Neil McDonough, the actor, I, I've seen him in a lot of stuff I liked. He's terrifying on Justified season two. And he's he's great and some other stuff, but like, I I felt like he was too cart he he was molded too cartoonish, and in a movie it's where a pretty they, cartoony it's character, a pretty cartoony character, but like, in I, the like the cartooniest MCU movie, yeah. But for some reason, it didn't it didn't jive for me. It was like we it was like just saying we we've put him in there. Like there was nothing that I mean, made him he special wears other than suspenders and a bowler hat <laughs> in battle. Right. But that was it. That was the thing. You know what? I take that back. It was nice to see Dum Dum Duggan in Agent Carter. Um he showed up in Agent Carter and there he actually got some character. But in the movies, he's just a bowler hat and mustache. Is it a bowler hat or a derby hat? I think it's a trouble. D- I think it's a derby. It's a derby. I think it's a derby derby. Uh, anyway, yeah, he just didn't seem real in a bad way to me in Captain America First Adventure. But overall, I didn't really dislike him. Just was hoping for more. All right. I'm done. Okay. Uh, my my number two, mm-hmm. I, I, I was fine with it, Dugan, but uh, <laughs> I was fine with My Sif. number two is I'm lumping them together because they're indistinguishable to me. The Warriors 3. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember you There's said a, you really didn't like the Warriors three. So wait, you don't like I've, Sif or the Warriors three, but Fandral and them are fine. No, I don't like them either. Oh, wait, he is on but... the Warriors three. I'm sorry, I take that back. Fandral is on the Warriors three. <laughs> See? See, I didn't even okay, know. There okay, there you go. Uh, the absolutely charismaless <laughs> Warriors three. Um, and if anybody in that I'll, team should have charisma, it's Volstag. And yeah, poor Ray Stevenson just—I don't know if it's just the written part or what—just didn't didn't work. I'll tell you, just like any business in Asgard, I generally find really boring. Heimdall. Heimdall's awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll watch Heimdall. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything else, I really don't care about what's happening in Asgard. I don't. Uh... So it's complete devastation was like a happy ending for you. That's fine. I was fine with Surtur <laughs> leveling it. I'm like, it's always boring whenever we go to Asgard. Knock the shit out of that place. <laughs> Pretty cool, but battle at the end of uh, Thor Ragnarok. There was a good battle at the yeah. end. Yeah, watching it straight was fun. Yeah, I know it's always like the first two movies. Like it's anything. Uh, uh, for a long time, I never saw the second half of Thor because oh. my wife and I we couldn't get through the first half of Thor. That whole business in, in Asgard, it was just so cheesy and terrible, and we're just bored and. Like this isn't funny where it's supposed to be funny. None of these characters are have any charisma except for Thor. But like, there's he's got nobody fun to hang out with. And then once he gets to Earth, then it becomes a fun movie. But uh, I'll I'll concede that the second the second half of Thor is way better. Is is I, it's really really fun. Um, uh, but I I didn't have that same experience with Asgard. I thought it was well conceived for 
what they had to pull off to still make totally fit with the rest of the universe. I mean, I kind of like the, you know, an advanced uh, alien race. They're not actual gods, but uh, we think they're gods. And, you know, that's a cool concept. But, yeah, it didn't work uh, for you. I I get it. I don't dig any of it. Didn't work. All right. Thor on Earth is awesome. Thor in in Asgard is a yawner. So I I got really excited when you said you lump them together because they're indistinguishable. My number two is a lump together too. It's not a tie. Uh, but my my <laughs> an amalgam. And mine is um and again, I'm not really angry at these people, don't really mind. But it's Dave and Kurt from Ant Man. So you've Oh, are these the Michael Pena Michael Pena's friends, uh played by T I yeah. and the other guy Dave, I can't remember his name. But like Dave and Kurt uh, again, they got some good lines. Like Ti has one of the best lines in it. It was, "Yeah, you don't mess with Baskin Robbins, man. Baskin Robbins don't play." That's a great line. Yeah. But honestly, we've got Luis, and now we've just got two. You other, don't need all. You three. Don't need those other yeah. two guys. They didn't. They don't really add anything. In fact, Ant Man was beset with superfluous or redundant versions of a lot of characters. I mean, I love Wood Harris from The Wire. And Bobby Cannavale, I guess, needed a partner, but he was another Bobby Cannavale. We didn't really need him either. <laughs> and the two guys, we already had Luis, and that's all I really needed. The two guys were just baggage. I'm, uh... So wait, there's Michael Pena, there's T.I., and who's the third one? Uh, Dave and Kurt. So um, I think T.I. is Dave, right? And Kurt is, yeah. um, his name is some, he was in. Dave Datchelman. Yeah. He was in he, Dest, Dest Malchian. He, David Dest he Malchian. Had, he had a gruesome death in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, if you recall. Was he in Blade Runner twenty forty nine? He was one. He was a tech who was looking at the scale of the 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 skin, no, the bone fragment with the serial number on it. And then uh, I think Joy came in, and I think it was Joy, and did oh, something to his head. Yeah, I knew he looked familiar, yeah. and I couldn't place him when I was watching the movie. He just did not okay. have so, the Russian accent. <laughs> so I have to disagree with you. I like I like him. It's Ti that I feel is really. He's fine. He's fine. I don't mind him. Nothing, if, but he's unnecessary. Unnecessary. In, in, in most of the scenes, like. It kind of helps to write those, that kind of repartee if you can bounce things three ways, but the characters aren't distinct enough. Exactly. Um, so you've already, I, I think yeah. David Dest Malchian, if I'm getting mm-hmm. his name right, I like his. I really like his line readings, and I yeah. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. I like I I enjoy him in those movies. Yeah, again, um, he's fine. He's good, but it, it, although to, I can never like, is he supposed to be like? Middle Eastern or Eastern European or Turkish or I like that that even that's kind of ambiguous right. like what he, um, right you know which uh, I mean I see giving him a giving a third person in the room to bounce stuff off but you so you've got a redundant Luis but then the redundant Luis has a redundant redundant Luis <laughs> in that was a, that was a sentence I uh, <laughs> there was no good way to answer uh, Turkish Eastern European Middle Eastern I couldn't tell which. Like the next word is so I jumped in. Saved your the ass. next word is gonna superhero be a bad choice, right? Yeah, thank you. All right. Which of those? I could just say which of those. I can't tell what's going on there. Okay. All right. It's cool. I like him. 
Your number right. one. You your number one? I'll do my number one. You could probably see it coming. Right. Do you have a guess? <sighs> I don't know. I figure well, I figure it'll make sense it. when you say it, but I'm going with the theme here. Oh. My number one is Odin. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, oh. Odin. Odin sucks. <laughs> I and uh what's no. his face? Mr. Great actor man, total ham. <laughs> he God damn. So sleepwalking his way through these movies like <laughs> Where's my paycheck? Yes. You got to put my name on the poster. My job is done. <laughs> is he it, like he's uh, like doing a late stage Marlon Brando like, like reading off cue cards like <laughs> I don't give a shit. I think he <laughs> I, I that guy's name <laughs> Sir Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. I, I, yeah. I, I'm feeling bad because I got man. a joke that I want to say, but I don't think it's warranted. I was going to say, is he like the? He's like, is he like Morgan Freeman's narration incarnate? <laughs> His job no. is just to be there. We've got. <laughs> well, except Morgan Freeman just like does. Oh, like, he does a job. His voice is always pleasant to listen yeah. to. Anything. You know, whereas Anthony Hopkins, like, he's not even trying, man. <laughs> like, he's almost unprofessional. <laughs> but he doesn't look grousy. That's the thing. He doesn't look like he's pissed off that he's there. He just, he's just. No, he looks put, completely yeah. bored. If some, <laughs> some emotion would be wonderful to see on the screen. If there was some animus to Odin in any one of his interactions with any other character that didn't feel completely phoned in. Yeah. I, that would be refreshing. God, I, I really want to fight you on this, <laughs> but I can't. I can't spur them up. I can't spur the, the, the for the, the sake of yeah. for the sake of the making good radio. You want to fight me, but you know in your heart. No, for the sake of right. being a generous in spirit to a consummate actor who's obviously not trying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, if you had to wear the wig and the eye patch all day, that I have to. You you wouldn't be complaining, yeah. Or I, you wouldn't be. I was going to grow the beard anyway. Okay, all right. Okay. Well, my 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 power bottom, if you will, my uh, my bottom. <laughs> that's um that's my favorite when they do the um Las Vegas porn awards every year. That's always the category I tune in for. Uh, I can't. I just listened to the Comedy Bang Bang best ofs from two thousand eight, and that's all. That's the other category I always tune in for. Oh yeah, and that's that was all. Um, all they talk about was uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, notorious power bottom. Um. Okay, so wait, it, wait, what? Is, you have to listen to the whole thing if you. Okay. Um, it's just a riff. That makes me think of uh, uh, Albert Finney in Scrooged, like walking out in the snow barefoot right. with like this opened bottom nightshirt. Right. Right. I always see that as a kid, and I'm like, Ugh. gotta be fucking freezing his balls off. <laughs> Literally freezing his balls off. Just want to see two orbs drop in the snow and walk on. How could anybody? Where that to keep like the coldest part of my body when I'm trying to sleep is my feet, and that's like the most. Yeah. Hey, you don't need to warm your feet. Ah. I never understood that night dress. Okay, okay. Anyway, go on. <laughs> I'm gonna wear a nightcap. That makes sense. Keep the heat. Not, that's not a not a ball cap, but not, but not slippers or a ball snood. 
That one's for friend of the podcast, <laughs> Levi Stahl. There you go, Levi. It's all for you. Don't say we never gave you nothing. Um, uh, okay, so my number one is because I got so much crap for choosing him as my uh, least favorite supervillain. Or superhero. Oh, what? I'm going to double down and say Starhawk from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Stockar or good? Ogord. Stockar or Ogord. See, I can't even. AKA Sylvester Stallone being so so unbearable. I I really don't get your problem. Okay, I'm he this is the category he belongs in. Okay. I, I believe I figured I I'd self-correct. And even if Although it wasn't in that accepted, stinger where he like makes his own team, like now well, he's moving into superhero character. Yeah, but like that I got I got I, I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> We'll get to that this would later. Be the place to say it. We'll get to that later. Um, okay. All right. All right. So yeah, he's he doubles down. He gets worst supervillain and worst. Oh no, worst non no not supervillain not worst superhero and worst non superhero. That do much you like Sylvester Stallone and other things or you, I have like no, particularly. I, I have liked him in things, despite I mean a lot of recently. Things. Um, I liked him in that Spy Kids three. <laughs> Okay, well, that was the example I was going to go okay. to because that's what this his performance here reminds me of. The Spike really Kids not at all. It didn't remind me of that at all. I really I see. You see, I I saw it more like you see Anthony Hopkins. Like I just figured he didn't want to be there and wear a stupid outfit, and now I have to yell and I don't want to. And I'm going to yell, and he would just rather be anywhere else. Really? Yeah, that's how okay. I saw it. But I, you know, honestly, I'm gonna have to watch Guardians Two again. Like I, th- I thought Michael Rooker saved that whole sequence because I was like, how is Rooker doing the acting for both of them? Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not buying Stallone at all. Oh, really? maybe I should go back and watch that because that didn't bother me. I thought he was just doing just kind of a cartoony version of himself. Oh, really? But not oh, I over didn't, the top. I didn't see him as any sort of commentary on himself at all. Well, not. I guess right. I'm not seeing his commentary. Um, I'm doing this as Cobra on acid. <laughs> yeah. No. I, uh... Yeah, Cobra on Reese's acid. Where's his pizza sure. scissors? Come on. Reese's pizza scissors. <laughs> I said, "Where's his pizza scissors?" Oh. You remember he has the the he's got uh, uh they actually we found a friend of mine actually found that they sell Cobra pizza scissors. Um, if this is a reference to the movie Cobra, I've never seen yeah, it. Does I, he use scissors to cut pizza? Yeah, there's a there's a scene where he's what's a famous scene where he's he's eating pizza Wait. while wearing isotoner gloves, <laughs> or like no, he's like really tight leather gloves and sunglasses and a and a, and a sleeveless tank, and he's eating, using like uh, office scissors to cut pizza and then eat. Is it. that a thing? I've heard of that. Or like my mom did that. I maybe. actually later we got a pair of pizza shears that were pizza shears that actually work very well. But they okay, got Okay, that was got, an 80s thing. No, right? this, no, but not to use just office scissors. He was using just like, you know, office max scissors. But the scissors he just like pulled out of a, a drawer. guy's head. Yeah. No. Uh, honestly, my friend had been talking about Cobra forever and said, you got to see Cobra, man. you got to see Cobra. And so finally I got it. And granted, I think I was a little I was a little tipsy when I watched it. But I called, I texted him halfway through and I said, uh, I can't finish this. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't do it. 
I forget what I feel like I texted him something really funny, but I also probably was just the alcohol. But uh, I was like, I can't. There's no way I can finish this. You can't finish Cobra, and yet you wanted to do a, you what you watched it wrong episode on every Death Witch movie. <laughs> no, no, I I Death Witch. Death, well, Witch. no, because Sorry. I, that came out as Death Witch. I did, which probably would be a better movie series. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, maybe I could read uh, uh, regale everyone with uh, your uh, response to that, which I thought was great. I don't know if I can find it quickly enough, but I said I got an idea. Why don't we? What if we did a episode on on all the Deathwish movies? And I think you said I can think of nothing I'd like to do less. And I and I said and I went, oh well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I was completely serious. <laughs> that was a one hundred percent true statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the and also having one hundred percent interest in doing a, an episode on it. <laughs> yes, that forces both you of those, to watch all those. Both of those things are simultaneously true. Those both of those things are true, and that's why that's why you are. <laughs> that's why you're Wade and I'm Siggy. <laughs> well, my interest in it was 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 only because well, I had a lot of anger. I didn't even thought about this when I suggested it, but I had a lot of anger at the very idea of a. Uh, new like Bruce Willis led remake of Death Wish by Eli Roth, I think, and I was yeah. like, that just the mere suggestion of it, let alone the having done it, is at this point is the actual. It's a it was offensive. The thought of it was offensive to me, and uh, but I wanted to explore. I I was thought it might be interesting to explore with our current eyes, the why those movies had appeal. Um, okay. Is he looking for something? Is he fell over? I was like, no, I'm just thinking I was, I was, I'm waiting for you to finish so I can uh, say my line. Oh, okay. No, I was just curious. <laughs> it is. And so you wanted to wallow in it like a mud sty. <laughs> as part of this podcast. No, I just wanted um, to, I just wanted to, to see the explore it from a cultural standpoint of, of what was what were the things that this movie resonated with in people enough to become like a thing, to become a a, a trope and become a figure, to even be referred to, uh, and, and almost like something like a, a, a weird ideal for masculinity when it was kind of a really a fucked up thing to do. <laughs> and then I've also heard it's either Death Wish three or Death Wish four. It's one of the harder ones to find. I've heard is completely crazy balls, just like like monumentally nuts um i think the av club I'll, did a, i'll read I, I i'll read about it but i'm yeah. not gonna but watch it, it but the idea of um, putting yourself through watching them all uh, especially the remake i don't i don't know if i could do it but uh i thought it was an interesting idea to uh, of a different type of thing to pursue and that's why i brought it up and i if you'd had interest in it i would have done it but i don't think i'm certainly not going to do it if it wasn't for a clinical study i wouldn't put the myself through score it. The score for Death Wish 2, composed by Jimmy Page, really? formerly of Led Zeppelin, who returned for Death Wish 3. <laughs> wow. Do you know who did the score for Death Wish, the first one? I'm going to say Jerry Goldsmith. Herbie Hancock. Really? Yeah. But there's a there's an eight year gap between and, Death Wish and Death Wish Two. And Death Wish 1974. Death Wish Four, the crackdown was probably I'm guessing Kenny G. <laughs> no, I'll try to think um, of a funnier one than that. 
It's a. It's a. They assembled a supergroup of John Bisharat, Paul McCallum, and Valentine McCallum. Hmm. Only one of which has a their own Wikipedia page. <laughs> you get on it. Was it one of the McCallums? On, on which no. Oh, okay. Uh, the Bisharat. Like on which I will not click. Okay. Okay. All right. We have finished our first category. <laughs> Woohoo! We're only. I. I don't. I don't even know. I I I think I see a part three in our future away. Well, let's 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 and bang them through. Let's go. As far as I know, there isn't a snap of the fingers that will <laughs> eliminate thirty three percent of something. So, hmm. all right, all right. So here we are. We're at we're at uh, top three non superhero bad guys. Or all right, what we got? We're filling bad guys since they're being bad probably puts them out of the superhero category. Oh, sorry. So might not put them sorry. out of the supervillain category. Non-super bad guys. We'll put it that way. How about that? Sure. Non-super. I really got to drop that level. Okay. Non-super bad guys. Here we go. My number three, might as well, if I may, Please. Um, is Alexander Pierce. Good old Robbie Redford. Oh, yeah. He's really good. Yeah, he's really good. Again, good piece of casting is a great piece of casting. He took the role seriously. He mm-hmm. yes, like, he did acting. He does not phone in his performance. No, good not job, at all. Robert. <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting is not a lot of people talked about. It. They always they talked about how he's like, oh, there's a neat bit of casting here with doing the whole three days of the Condor reverse. You know, you're calling recalling three days of the Condor with the style of your movie, but. And now you've got him in the villain role. and But no one, I don't think anyone ever stopped and said, it's Robert fucking Redford. <laughs> it was like, it was well, like. Just because they've already had like similar gets in previous yeah. movies. But that was the biggest, the biggest. That was get. the big, I mean, I mean, you could say Jack Nicholson validated the whole genre when he did Batman. Like you probably wouldn't have any of these movies if Jack Nicholson hadn't done the Joker and Batman. Right. I thought he just seemed born to play the Joker. Right, exactly. But like the fact that he took the role, no matter how good or bad the movie was, the fact that he took it, that Jack Nicholson took it, meant that there was something to the genre. Right? It validated it. Whether Jack Jack thought so or not, that's what the world took. Before or after that, that we had, um, what's her name? Former actress, uh, Oscar winner, uh, uh, What's her name? The actress I used to get confused with Meryl Streep. Um, Cruella DeVille. Uh, Glenn Close. Glenn, Glenn Close, Close as the head of uh, Alpha Squadron or whatever it's called. Oh, was that before? Same year. Same, year, the but, same year, but it came out first. Winter Soldier came out first. Okay. Because um, Glenn, okay, Glenn Close was like... That was whoa, a pretty big Glenn get. Close in a superhero movie, yeah, but... Robert Redford was first, and he's, you know, I mean, he runs Sundance. Well, he doesn't run it, but you know, right. But still, I mean, I mean, and and he's like a serious force. He totally is a serious force, independent and Hollywood film. And and like, there's so many moments I like with him in it. I like it when, I love it when Robert Red when uh, 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 Captain America over the intercom. Says the leader of Hydra, yeah, Shield's been infiltrated by Hydra, and its leader is Alexander Pierce. And it, everyone looks to Robert Redford, and he's like, 
Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You know, it's like yeah. You know, like I got caught, and but it's great. And, and then it, it, and he it, exudes power yeah. so well through the whole thing. And and when Nick Fury comes in uh, after being presumed dead, and Redford looks at it, they they don't give it enough time, but it's just but it's it matches the subtlety of his thing. He's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I should have known that, you know. And then I loved his look. I just loved his delivery when when uh, Nick Fury walks up to him all just hot-eyed, you know, con- just controlled Fury. And Redford just goes, did you get my flowers? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's just... like what Redford gets in that role yeah. and that portrayal is like what power means is when you get caught, you don't give a shit because yeah. you know you're going to be okay. You know you're going to be okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he got that. He didn't get panicky. Yeah. He got like just. I still got all the stuff. So yeah, it's really, um, I thought it's, it, I don't think that performance gets enough due. And that um, was a great example of casting for the twist. Like we need, yeah, we need someone that you're going to, the audience will, uh, trust implicitly so that they feel really betrayed when it turns out he's the bad guy. And so when it's who's, pretty obvious who's going to be the bad guy, but it's, it sh- it's you should have seen, seen it coming, but because it's Robert Redford, yeah, because you implicitly trust Robert Redford when you see him on the screen, you don't see it coming. Yeah, you know, and, and the like t- who else could you have cast that well in that part? Yeah, I don't think like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know? And then to have that reveal scene, Jason you... Robards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good one. You know, when they have they have that scene where he where you, he um where where they 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 tell you it's him where it's it's proven it's him and it ends with him like it feels so vicious. When he kills his housekeeper, yeah, right. It feels so just. I mean, and it's just someone getting shot, but like, well, he's he's yeah. pissed off that he's lost his housekeeper. As soon right. as she it's comes back in, he's like, "Oh, you, sh- oh, now I have, you know, now I have to hire." He's not now. I have to kill you. He's like, now I have to go through the hiring process of getting a new housekeeper. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the look on his face. Oh. You messed up, bam, bam, and it who's feels. Gonna, yeah. Who's going to clean up his blood? <laughs> right. He just, he just shot the person who would do it. So I don't yeah. know. Anyway, it, it's a yeah. I I I don't as as much as I froth about uh, uh, Winter Soldier. Even I don't talk about how good Robert. In fact, there's I find every time they hover over his dead body or his dying body after Nick Fury finally shoots him, and you just hover over this kind of shocked looking Robert Redford and his dying words are hail Hydra. It's for some reason, like that shouldn't really work, but it gives me chills a little bit, you know, like, cause he's still, he's because he, just like you said, true power is knowing that when you get caught, it's not going to matter. He's dying and he's still kind of, he's not giving it up. He's like, he's still got his stance, you know? Yeah. Is really good, really good performance. I thought. All right, choice. Num- your number my number three is Obadiah Stane. Ah, yes, he was going my... back to the source. Right. Um, the dude. The you know uh, Jeff Bridges you know is now burned into uh, the the collective uh, popular conscious as the dude more than for any other role but here it does like a complete 180 and a totally different like corporate ceo power hungry again yeah. like um 
confident because he doesn't have to give a shit because he knows he's he's got the 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 power behind him and uh and doesn't even seem like he's scheming when he's scheming yeah that's how good jeff bridges is in this role yeah is he's not really he's kind of doing it on charisma as much as smarts and just knowing that he can manipulate people right right and um and that like being avuncular but also like it's not you, you can tell right away in iron man like the very first image you see of him is a magazine cover where yeah. <laughs> tony stark is like i'm right. the i'm the wonder boy and obadiah stain is like cross-armed looking over his shoulder at him like right. a, like a scolding uh, <laughs> dean of the private school <laughs> that's stuffy old like, dean. immediately you know obadiah stain is the bad guy oh yeah just movie, by that right? magazine cover but then he's got the when he shows up at the uh uh I, is the first time you see him like talking is he like asleep like he just woke up on a video phone is it the first time we hear, see him talk i don't know or I don't know, but like no, no, it's at the party. It's at the he's accepting the award for Tony when he's not there. That's right. Um, but later, for some reason, I always think of him when Tony Stark comes back, and he just kind of walks off to go do a different. And Obadiah does the becomes avuncular, although you know he's kind of like, oh yeah, what, what am I gonna, hey, well the good thing to remember he's controlling the press by giving them the news that he did not want to hear. What you see is yeah. Tony's back. That's all we got to remember, guys. We got to just focus on the fact that Tony's back and he's okay. And like that was the worst thing for him. <laughs> and, and Jeff Bridges like hits the performance right on that line yeah. where he's both convincing. He's both convincing as the guy who's convincing the world that he's a good guy. Yes. While also being menacing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's we, a very delicate performance. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll for, bring up a... We'll bring up a it couple seems other really things. really over the top. All right. We'll probably bring up a couple other things of that later. Uh, he, he um, but um, again, the whole, because when he does finally show his anger, it's terrifying. And yeah. also, and you also know that's when he's at his most impotent, when he does blow up with anger. Like yeah. this, that beautiful scene, which I guess should have been in my list of, uh, of him yelling at that um, scientist for the arc, like, like saying, you just got to take this arc reactor. The technology's right here. You just build it. And he's like, we can't build it. It's impossible. Tony Stark built this in a cave. Right. Out it of scraps. Rage right. that he's beholden to this punk's genius yeah. that he can't have. Yeah. You know? And then that. Like, I've got everything. Tony Stark is a fuck up. And all the ways I'm not, I'm competent in all the ways he isn't. Why don't I just have his fucking genius? Right. You know? Right, exactly. And then I wouldn't need him. Right. Right. And that's so great. And I, it all came out in that moment, that anger. Yeah. And then what I love that scientist. He should be on the non, the, in the, one of these lists too. The scientist who yells out goes, like, he suddenly has this bravery in him. It goes, which is, what he says is kind of a, a weak admission, but. He's trying to tell the guy the facts, the reality. Go, well, I'm sorry. I'm not Tony Stark. <laughs> right. Remember that? He gets yelled yeah. in his face, but he goes, well, 
I'm sorry, I'm not Tony Stark. You're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good scene. It's a great scene, yeah. Uh, good choice. Okay. I wish he was on my list. I, I had him as a special mention because Pierce nudged him off. Sure, that's mm -hmm. a good choice. Okay, you're number two. My number two. My number two, uh, after that, may seem like Obadiah should be here instead. <laughs> but I do, I, I, I love him. Uh, my number two is Justin Hammer from Iron Man 2. Is Sam Rockwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iron Man 2 Defender. Iron Man 2 Defender <laughs> to the core. And while uh, Obadiah Stane is the avuncular menace, uh, Justin Hammer is the is is Tony Stark basically, but without the genius. <laughs> They're both uh, he and Tony are both children. They keep having these mentions throughout the whole time of like you remember how he goes. I like to have my dessert first, you know. Uh, like Sam Rockwell's, uh, I like to have my dessert before dinner. You know, it's like uh, just uh, you know you get to do it. And like well, they're kids, they're just kids. And I I'm always fascinated by the. Um, as we wrote in our one of our the screenplay that we co-wrote, our villain from from that screenplay, um, I, as you know, I'm fascinated with the type of character who is not um, is too do doofy to be dangerous, but just a little bit of confidence, and he could really be dangerous because he's so stupid. <laughs> you know, you're referring to aftermath. That's right. Not available on any <laughs> medium or service. That's, a, that's right. And um, uh, and so Justin Hammer does that for me, and I really wish he could have had a second chapter other than just the the one shot that uh, he appeared as a cameo in. Um, uh, but um, with my other special mention, uh, actually... Um, but uh, uh, no, I, I, I think a lot. I know that Marvel doesn't want to touch Sam Rockwell or Justin Hammer after Iron Man 2. They don't want to, they want to be known that that ever happened. And, but it's one of those things where like Mickey Rourke, the scenes with Mickey Rourke and Justin Hammer, it was two actors who were in different movies, but that was what worked for those scenes to me. <laughs> I really liked those scenes of just, it was like these two characters shouldn't be existing in the same room because it's just not working. <laughs> but I, I found them so much fun. I found that so much fun. So yeah, the the pure joy that Justin and and also he won me over from being you know the, the comics. Justin Hammer is like a Peter Cushing type, like a like a like a velvet smoking jacket. Like if if, if Peter Cushing was playing Hugh Hefner, basically. Very refined, but very, you know, with a, with a little stemmed cigarette holder and stuff, and um, and really, there's not much you could do with that. And so when they made him this kind of young, I don't think of Hugh Hefner as being very no, refined. No, 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 no. Go no. ahead. No, I'm sorry, but you're right. Not not Hugh Hefner. If Peter Cushing in the red velvet, just and so like he, um, very David Nivenish villain, but uh, and then they made him completely not that for the movie, but. I thought I think from what the 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 movie was trying to do, I thought it was a really good choice, um, and I stand by it. <laughs> okay, my number two is uh, uh, this is on a technicality. <laughs> the category is non supervillain bad guys, and I'm saying Eric Kelmonger. 
be- because oh, oh, top, top, before sorry, top. he <laughs> I thought this was before he potion. drinks the potion and puts on the suit, uh, as has been documented endlessly, he's uh, a very captivating and, in his own way, darkly charismatic character. And his motivations, um, I mean, any well-written villain will feel like the hero of his own story. Characters, uh, grievances are um, uh, seem very justified. Just his uh, means of uh, redressing them are questionable. Um, but man, once he puts on that, once he drinks that potion and puts on that panther suit, he's boring as hell. He's just another. Larger, stronger, yellower version of the hero, which uh, <laughs> is an unfortunate pattern that these right. movies fall into. Now, did you did you have him on your bottom supervillains? No, no, I didn't. Okay, all right, that's why for some reason thought. I thought maybe you were having. I thought maybe this was a continuation of, like maybe you had him in bottom supervillain post Black Panther suit, yellow Panther suit, and then he's a your favorite, your number two non superhero bad guy. Pre-Yellow Panther suit. <laughs> no, he's not terrible once he puts the suit on. He's just kind of boring. He becomes boring. Right. No, if it sounds familiar, it's because we've had this conversation before. Oh, I think so. <laughs> no, just to recap, my bottom three uh, villains were Whiplash, Ultron, and Quicksilver. Right, 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 right. right. But we shouldn't keep doing that. Okay, your number two. My number one. We oh, did. your number one. We did Justin Hammer. So I was Alexander Pierce, and Justin Hammer. My number one non-superhero bad guy is Brock Rumlow pre-Crossbones. Oh, so you're doing it too. Yeah, I'm doing it too. Wait, I thought you liked him. I love him. I love oh, Crossbones. I thought we were doing bottom. Oh, you were doing top. No, yeah, Sorry. see, that's what they, when you said Eric Killmonger, I went, I, oh, you thought bottom. Uh, but I no. scrolled up to look at my bottom <laughs> yeah. three villains, and now I've lost my place, and now I'm okay. all confused. Now, he does become Crossbones later, which I think you included as a supervillain. Yes, right? Crossbones would definitely be a supervillain. Right. Now, right, when he's I, just a shield guy, he's not a supervillain. He's amazing right. in that. I mean, he's amazing because, like, like, like oh, I love, I so love the Lemurian Star invasion uh at the beginning of winter soldier and he's got some really badass heroic moments in it by just being keeping quiet like when they when they when they does he shoot that one yeah he shoots that one guy in the head and then catches him by the collar before he falls and then slowly pulls him away from the door you know to keep stay quiet just the being quiet and then but the biggest thing i love about brock brock is despite his total commitment to hydra <laughs> or or to well cite his commitment to hydra in that he you could tell he really does respect steve rogers yeah yeah and he, and he, he, respects, he respects the craft he respects the craft he respects the man and respects the uh the higher the pro the um chain of command and, and well, I, yeah it's the chain of command because i don't think he's a, a hydra loyalist at all but he right. Respects the chain of command. He, he, chain he of command. answers to power. He answers to power. That's right. Yeah. He's not really low but he answers to power. And so, like, uh, so he's 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 uh, he's without values that way. Right. He's kind of. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Just the 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 scene. You know, the the respect. And he's briefing him on the Lemurian star. It's just a 
info dump. It's an exposition dump. But he's weirdly magnetic in how he talks to Captain America in that. Frank Grillo. And then he... And then later when he's in the elevator, when they're about to, to, to try to capture him, and that really tense yeah. elevator scene, when he, great scene, when he goes to apologize for what happened to Nick Fury. Well, I mean, he just, he just says it's messed up what happened to him. Like, he's doing it out of respect for Cap, even though he knows he's, uh, you know, he could be just trying to, you know, shoot the shit sound like they're not going to do what they're about to do. but Or put him off his guard. Put him off yeah. his guard. But... At the same time, it's probably true. <laughs> He's like, this is the chain of command. It's messed up what happened to him, but this is what we're, you know. It wasn't an admission or anything, obviously. He didn't right. do it. A job's, like, a, a job's a job. Except that that was a job, but a job's a job. Right. Yeah. So, like, anyway, he's. Uh, I just think he's, he's I, he was one of those people I couldn't, t- couldn't take your eyes off. Like, from instant one, wow, he's really good. <laughs> yeah, he should be in more stuff. Well, yeah. he probably is in more stuff, and I just don't know. But yeah. Yeah, he's got that uh, quiet intensity to him that's mm-hmm. uh, really good. Um, All right. So you're number one, unless you had more to say. That was your that. number one. That was my number my one. My number one is Arnim Zola, played oh. by Tony Jones, who, <laughs> who is good in in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, uh-huh. but... Um, it's my favorite part of Winter Soldier is that scene in the bunker where now he's computerized and his <laughs> his brain is on tape backup and he gives a long speech and like, I don't know, it's just so delightfully cartoony and over the top and like it, it doesn't, it's like, what is this doing in this movie? Yeah, it's so, but it's, it all, it works so well. It's so great. Well, I think I know. Um, I think I know why it works so well, and and uh, as part why it doesn't feel so. It's in it conceptually, it's totally off with the rest of the movie. It's like if they stuck a werewolf story in it in, in the middle of it for no like. Well, yeah. this doesn't seem to fit. But here's the reason why it does fit. Um, and I'll uh, you'll, I'll tell it from a story that I believe I told you last time we recorded this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the writers wanted to. They wrote that scene, and they kept saying, "We gotta, we gotta kill the scene. We gotta, we gotta get rid of the scene. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It's not like the rest. Of it. We never, never felt like we could crack it. Uh, and it doesn't work." He goes, "But then they said, but that's the movie. The whole it's my favorite scene. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just, he goes, but that's the movie. It explains." The reason they didn't like it was that because Zola was just telling you what the plot of the movie was. Yeah, was like, he's just telling it to you. This is this it is what's happening. Terrible. It should be terrible. And they were like going, "We have to cut it." But they go, "If we cut it, the the movie's gone. The movie doesn't make any sense." And and they go, "So we can't cut it." And they kept trying to find a different way to do it, and they never could find a satisfactory way to do it. So they did it, but luckily. I guess the Russos or Feige or, or the Marvel Studios, whoever it was that that made that just it it cop, captured some. And I think the reason the magic of the reason why that does not feel atonal when conceptually it completely is, is because it is the movie. I mean, I mean, it, it's 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 what the whole thing's about. And so if the one scene that feels uh, heightened almost unreal is is revealing the truth of of what everything is then that um 
it just works. I, I just, I think that's what makes it work. Because it's, it's not, it's not Thor's magic hot tub, you know. It's not something that's just kind of stuck in, uh, in Avengers to Age of Ultron to, to, fa- or, 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 well, that, that I, I take that back. That actually does serve the function to join a bunch of things later, but it's that's just it. It's not central to this movie. It, it's not central to Age of Ultron. This scene is the whole point of of, of yeah. this movie. So I think that's why it's where all the, the heightened come together. Yeah. yeah, I think it's heightened qualities serve to elevate the importance of 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 the message and, and plot of the movie. And uh, well, it, the, it's a scene that Rick really raises the stakes because you yeah. find out just how much power Hydra has. Yeah, they basically have tapped into everything and this that they made this huge investment in this genius brain <laughs> that's willing to sacrifice itself to accomplish the right. mission right like and, has no qualms about killing yeah no qualms. To... I, I i did find it kind of dumb that that was a sacrifice but i mean like you, that was too big of resource to just go but i guess they had realized well he's well, there we gotta do something it's been gathering that. dust i mean it's not like <laughs> yeah. True. It cost me Zola, you know. It's 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 not like they've been down there tapping into this resource twenty four seven. That's true. Um, but yeah, and it's kind of a cliche, like the the fanatical cult that will sacrifice. You know, the members mm-hmm. don't care about sacrificing themselves for the higher cause, but it's um, it does raise the stakes in the yeah, story. It really does. I mean, I mean, if if sold properly. It doesn't really feel cliche. Cliches are just things that didn't right. feel like a mechanism rather than truth. Well, right. It doesn't feel like a cliche because you're still wrapping your head around what's happening <laughs> right. it's like, when it happens, what? you know, when the missile strikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's a great one. Um, I would like to make a special mention here. Um, okay. If you, unless you had more to say. No. No. Oh. Um, I like special mention here. Um, I have two people that I wanted to put on this list that couldn't Obadiah Stane. I was one and Terry Slattery. Uh, he was on my list, I believe, last recording at number three. Terry Slattery, paid by Bing Kingsley in Iron Man Three. Oh, who, uh, who, as I said before, I like the um, I like the bait and switch of Iron Man Three. I don't like what they switched him out with. <laughs> like Killian was one of my you know, least favorite heroes, uh, least favorite villains, but uh, Terry Slattery, especially once he's revealed to be a drunk, addicted Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr. <laughs> he's delightful. I love him. Um, also, oh, I, I missed a honorable mention before. I wanted to say in the non superhero good guys, and that was a little uh, guy who, who I think is only named online. Cameron Klein, he is the uh, a shield presume well a shield uh, helicarrier. No, he works for Shield in the Triskelion. Is he the guy playing Galaga? No, <laughs> no, uh, he is the shield. Uh, he's a, he works in the Triskelion, and he's the guy that Brock Rumlow comes up to right as Captain America oh, is giving his speech. The guy who refuses to the, comply. The guy who refu- and he's scared out of his mind. But he yeah. he refuses to comply, and I think he as a, becomes 
He moves into superhero category. He does. And, and, and I also like it that he gets, he appears one other time in the series. He's in age of Ultron when the helicarrier appears to, to, uh, rescue the, the citizens of Sokovia flying, uh, to, to get all the people off the floating city. Um, uh, he's one of the, they show a shot of him being one of the pilot, being one of the people who's saying, you know, we're clear for that. Oh, I got know, a promotion. So basically they showed that, that he is, well, he's not part of the underground resistance with shield. Right. So like he's part of Fury's hideaway shield faction at that point. So they've shown that he, in that act, he has seen what he, just by that little act in Winter Soldier, and then by showing him in one cut, has shown that he's had this whole life in between that of, of, of not just doing a job, but realizing where his political um, heart, is, or where, his, where his true moral, moral is, his moral heart is, yeah. and, uh, and, and then taking steps to follow that, uh, to do what's to do what he feels is right, which is sure. join Nick you Fury's can depend underground. On, yeah, yeah, you can depend on him to do the right thing. You could depend on him, and that's why I think he he I would have put him on this list if if uh, I, I he was one of the first people I thought of when I thought of the category. Well, and I that would have been so much better than all your other choices. <laughs> Justin Hammer. <laughs> all right. Poor judgment, Wade. Now, okay. Now wait, I have one more thing to make. Oh God, come on, one more. I have a person who is, I feel, would be at the top of any of the lists were he to be classifiable. I cannot classify him. He's my favorite, I don't know where to put him guy. And that is Thunderbolt Ross. William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross. He's a non-super villain. Is he? He's not a super villain. Sure, he's a non. He's he definitely in an antagonistic role. Well, he's an antagonistic in, role in a lot of the things he's in. He's a. I would say he he would be an antagonist in the Incredible Hulk. He would be. Eh, not really an antagonist, but definitely an obstacle in Civil War. Oh wait, oh, no. Oh, he's totally the creator, the generator of the conflict between. The characters. He's definitely an antagonist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I should put him in the non-superhero bad guy role. He, he walks into the room and he generates conflict. <laughs> yeah. Like that's his role that's his in role. the story. <laughs> and there's no better. I, it's no better casting. I think in the entire Marvel universe than William Hurt as as Thunderbolt Ross. There's just there's no better casting. Um, I don't know what to do with him because he's 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 so. Oh, but I don't. As a kid, I I often got. Uh, 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 William Hurt and Jeff Bridges confused. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it's weird to me that they're both in the MCU. Yeah. Well, if it were up to me, uh, well, if it is, it is up to me. But if I, if if we, if we're doing that, he is a non-super villain bad guy. I would probably put him probably at number one, and then move Brock down and move Alexander up. I don't know. Maybe. Are you saying we have to record this for a third time? No, no, no. Here? I just got to get, get to say a fourth one. That's all. All right. All right. Bottom three. <laughs> Bottom three. Non-super villains. Good. We're, uh, okay, here we go. Uh, my number three, a controversial choice, uh, Grandmaster. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind mm. of over uh, Jeff Goldblum. I like him fine. Like I don't need so much of him in my media diet, and he's 
He's like just doing Jeff Goldblum shtick. And, you know, there's a comedy where they gave the performers lots of room to be funny, which is what you do these days. That's fine. Like I didn't need so much. So. Well, I will respect your opinion, but man, I I'm not on that train at all, and I loved yeah, it. I I, I him respect so much. that, and I can definitely understand that <laughs> point of view. It's just, I was like, do I need him here, really? Like, if he was trying to disappear into a role, it would be one thing, but he's just he's just being Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> um, okay, that's respectful. I'm not. I don't have much to comment on that. I guess. I just, I, so great to me, but I do, I do, I do say that I do see him a lot just being Jeff. I'm being Jeff Goldblum in this movie, and that's why you're not watching a character; you're watching Jeff Goldblum right. being done. So yeah, I like get if that. Jeff Bridges had just done the dude, <laughs> right? He'd be in my bottom three. Too, right, probably. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this one was hard. Um, my bottom th- third um, was a toss-up for me, I, but I don't dislike either of them. Okay, I'm just going to pick it. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Sonny Birch. Uh, that's Walton Goggins from Outman and the Wasp. I love what. Yeah. I love Walton Goggins, and and I should. It's another one where he's just he's just doing the Walter Goggins thing. But he's just doing the Walton know? Goggins thing, and I'm just like, yeah. okay, I know it's just doing Walton Goggins. Um, and he's fine. In fact, he's got a really funny line when he gets the truth serum, uh, when he's like, I've got health code violations that would shock you. (laughs) Like it was, it was really funny. Um, and the other thing is, unlike a lot of bad, uh, villains, um, unlike I, he was, he was going to be a toss up with Bill Foster, you know, Goliath, the Goliath, who I didn't think counted as a super villain, but he was definitely an antagonist in Ant-Man and the Wasp until he, until the end. But what's interesting to me about uh, is that Sonny does drive the main force of um, conflict in that, in terms of he's kind of keeps creating a bad situation for everybody. So in a way, you know, Walter Walton Goggins is really the main bad guy of Ant-Man and the Wasp, sure. but yet he, yeah, but we don't think about it. He doesn't register well, as he, that. He's like the Walter Shrek role oh, of, of the uh, of Batman Returns. Batman Returns. Yeah. <laughs> right, totally. He's the real villain. Even the, you have Catwoman and the Penguin, but the real the villain movie, is but, yeah. You're but right. The, you're the, right. The real villain is some CEO, <laughs> right? But yet that really kind of worked in a way. Like it was like it's kind of cool. Like I, Christopher Walken's the the bad, <sighs> the real bad guy, and he gets a kick-ass oh, killer scene. That's the failing of that movie. Yeah. That's the well. I think that's more of a failing in this one, in the sense that I got, I have to say, Ant Man and the Wasp. I really enjoyed it, but pretty middling when I saw it in the theater. When I watched it at home on video, it really took a quality dive. Um, yeah. It's 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 kind of it's the only one I've rewatched and been like, Ugh, I wish I hadn't rewatched this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can um, totally see that. I really wish I hadn't rewatched this. Yeah, it was uh, it was I was definitely diminishing returns. Diminishing returns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that like all these other that he's the seems to be the main bad guy. Yet I barely think of him when I think of the movie. All right, my number two, um, Emil Blonsky. Before oh, he becomes yeah. the abomination, I, I know we're going to disagree this. on this one. We're going to disagree on this, but but 
come on, I don't care if you get a little dose of super serum soldier, like you're, I'm supposed to be excited to see you go against the Hulk with a little pistol <laughs> pew pew. <laughs> like I'm going to pick up a piece of a door and jump off of a bulldozer or whatever it was and shoot you five times with a pistol and your Thunderbolt Ross like, again, Blonsky. All the helicopters and the Humvees and the tanks haven't worked. Bring in Emil Blonsky. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to take on the hug. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, yeah, when you put it that way. Yeah, I, I I, just think... It doesn't yeah. work at all. Yeah, I think I think once he becomes... And plus, like, uh, 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 Roth is, like, what, five foot six? Like, it doesn't... <laughs> but that's just... It just it. doesn't work. To, to me, to me, uh, I... I I liked seeing that. I thought Tim Roth was really great, and I actually bought. Okay, he was. This was Mia Blonsky was the only time. I think almost in any movie I've ever seen, where I believed it when someone saw power and wanted it enough to be like, "You become a monster." I don't care. Like every they've done all these these movies where people, you know, bad guys. Well, I feel that power. I want that power. And then they change into a monster and they're glad to change into a monster or whatever. And I'm like, but you're a monster. Why do you, I don't, I do not see that as a good trade-off. But like this time I bought it. This time I went, I, he, Tim Roth sold it for me. And I found that to be kind of exciting to me. Uh, but once he became like a, a total but, miscast. But once he, like, beca- once he became abomination, it was like, I don't give a crap about this. <laughs> I don't get to it, see Tim Roth anymore. They wanted Tim Roth's name on the poster. If they had cast the guy who played Crossbones and what was his name before he's Crossbones? Brock Romlo. If if he had played Emil Blonsky, maybe I would have bought it. Hmm. Or the guy who's Tim... playing Punisher now. Oh, John Bernthal. Yeah, but like, you, you know, I see that. I, I, yeah, but that's that's just more stereotype. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, was they... Tim Roth that much of a draw? <laughs> a box office draw? Well, why did they cast him? Well, he was really good in it. I thought. I well, I disagree. That's very good. I think I, I for me it felt like a total miscast. I, I watched it wrong. You watched it wrong. See, we got the tension. You watched it wrong. You, it you wrong. just you still love Reservoir Dogs too much. That's the, <laughs> that's why you're you're papering over as flaws. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Um. All right. My ding. Number, we ding. did it. We did our uh, we did our podcast title. All right. Yay. Okay. Uh, my number two, bottom two is. I almost feel bad about that. Well, again, this is very strange to look at this this way. My number two is Eric Savin. Do you know who that is? <laughs> no. No, I didn't know his name either. As, so don't forget. Eric Savin is, is, is one of the baddies in Iron Man 3. He's like the lead extremist guy who kind of follows around Killian. Uh, I and, totally don't remember. This. Yeah. I, I want to watch Iron Man 3 again because I remember all the parts where he's not in the armor. Tony Stark's not in armor. I remember enjoying a lot of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I want to go back to that because I haven't seen it since. Well, I don't remember played, most of it. it I, I feel I have mixed emotions saying this. He's played by an actor named James Badge Dale, who I remember when I saw Iron Man 3, I did not like him at all. I recently saw him in a movie that I have conflicted feelings about called Hold the Dark on Netflix. He is incredible in it. I really liked him in that movie 
uh, J- the actor James Baddale. And I kept walk looking at him going, where do I have seen him before? Oh my God, he's that guy I didn't like in Iron Man 3. <laughs> but when I looked at his part, when I thought about his part, he's got a couple of really good moments. Um, he, he drives the story a lot. And um, it's weird though, the Shane Blackism, uh, which I love Shane Black, but uh, this character is straight up murdered by Tony Stark when um, uh, he Tony Stark basically gives him a big bear hug and then blasts his unibeam through his chest. <laughs> so he straight up murders. He's Tony Stark murders him. <laughs> Iron Man really doesn't use that unibeam much. No, he doesn't. He- he doesn't whip it out once in Infinity War when no. half the universe is on the line. <laughs> and that's like his number one weapon. Like, not his number yeah. his repulsive razor is number one. But that's like his go-to. Yeah. That's like Voltron whipping out the sword. Like, right. when it's time to finish you, like, this is right. what I go to. Like, this right. is my putting all my chips in move. And he never yeah. does it uh, in Infinity War. But, you know... Uh, I, I can't really put my finger on why I've put him in the bottom three because I think I've rat, I've rattled off a bunch of things that actually give him merit, but I just for some reason it just, he didn't it didn't work for me so I'm just gonna that's all I can say, but I've loved I've really found him to be quite amazing in other movies but not this one not his fault okay. I think. well I'm gonna go with my number one to build up to your number one bottom non super villain. Bad guy. My number one worst is Zemo. Oh yeah, I've been from yeah. from Civil War. <laughs> I think his motivations are uh, tepid. Like, okay, your family died, so you're gonna destroy the Avengers because, like, you only blame the Avengers and not Ultron for what happened in Age of Ultron. I mean. I guess you could. I mean, is it public knowledge that the Avengers that Tony Stark created Ultron? It's not clear that that's he, public knowledge. They they tend to they tend to skirt around the issue of Ultron in in Civil War quite a bit. Like they're not. They kind they, of pretend he didn't exist. They kind of, They just want to say they they. they it, I find it interesting because the end of Age of Ultron really had a a response to Man of the reaction to Man of Steel. Where everyone was like really, really shocked, and a appa- well, a lot of people were, uh, not everyone, everyone uh, but a lot of people were shocked by the like myself when I finally saw it, how little the movie cared about bystanders and yeah. human life in general, <laughs> and like it was kind of like we watched all these presumed deaths in in at Superman's hands, you know, and you're like, what the hell, what the what? These are superheroes. They're supposed to be saving people. They're supposed to be trying not to keep people from harm. And so Avengers Age of Ultron seemed to really have that kind of thing. It's like, well, we're going to show you what heroes really do. So fuck you. <laughs> and they made a big right. stance about making the whole end about getting the people off the island, off the floating city. That's the, that's the major thing right now. And so, uh, and then Civil War turns around, as much as I really love it, um, it is curious that they kind of don't say anything about who they were fighting. I guess they don't want to make people think about Ultron, but they wisely still build off of it. Um, and then say that, 
oh, we dropped buildings on these people. We were kicking so much ass. We didn't care about anyone. And, and we, we killed a bunch of people because we were being so great and awesome. I was like, well, no, actually, Age of Ultron specifically went to great pains to show that they were caring for people. Right. So, uh, that, uh, but you could write that off as being that's Tony Stark's own guilt. That's just trying to re reclassify history to persuade people to do that. But no one calls him on it. No one says, I'm trying to summarize what you're saying. Okay. If I may. Sure. Uh, Because I saw Aquaman. Did you see Aquaman? Not yet. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's got its pleasures. Um, uh, but it, it really made me think, like, okay, the Marvel Universe, Marvel movies are about the balance between power and responsibility. Oh, like you're saying. very good. DC movies are just about power. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what... And anyway, that, yeah. fuck those DC movies. <laughs> That's why everyone's like, oh, these these ones are so much more mature, and they're the no, and like, like, well, no, they're kind of quasi fascist. Yeah, and like, they totally just because are. they're very adolescent, just because they have gray tones doesn't mean they're more mature. You know, it's their their. Uh, I think that I've I've never been able to really to summarize it as beautifully as you just did, but like I've always tried to to, to argue. I go, I think like Avengers has more to say about. Um, uh, our government, how we deal with our government, and and very m- mature, complex political issues than anything that Dark Knight ever did. It just happens to be this is bright colors and fun to watch. Or <laughs> <laughs> Dark Knight Rises, I guess. But still, well, I'm, Dark... I'm talking about like the Zack Snyder. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, DC, DCU movies, right. uh, which the Nolan movies aren't necessarily no, in. But, but um, they have. There is a Nolanization. Uh, that has happened that has taken all the wrong lessons from the positive things that his that his films had done and influenced and they just all taken the wrong lessons and so i mean the dark knight and dark knight rises have do have kind of a weirdly fascist tone to them sometimes that i'm not entirely comfortable with but you know no i'm not I'm, they're not all bad they're not as evil as the murderverse and 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 that sort of thing all right that's another episode boy like <laughs> It's about 50% of our episodes where we start trashing on Christopher Nolan. And I don't know why. There's a lot I like about Christopher Nolan. We, and I've yeah, met the band we, and I've done a bunch. I've been to his office a lot. I hate doing that. But like, you know. We have our issues. with. We him. have He's our very issues. He's very talented. He's very yeah. talented. And, okay. he, and as I've said before, he does the one thing that I think a lot of filmmakers, that not enough filmmakers do. He thinks everything out to his logic. And I think that is really important. I just don't always agree with his logic. But he does the work. That that heart he does the work that a lot of people don't do, and and I really respect him for that. Oh, All right, so me. Zemo. Uh, I didn't get to part two of the reason I didn't like Zemo is his plan makes no fucking sense. Like his plot, <laughs> like, like really, uh, you're you're you have to lure Captain America and Iron Man to this remote Siberian facility so you can show him a video that you could have just like emailed to Tony Stark. <laughs> like that if you is, wanted Tony Stark to find out that Winter Soldier, well, if he didn't really, uh, yeah, that Captain America's uh, tragic romantic interest killed your parents, like you didn't have to do it here. You didn't have to. Yeah, I think maybe something might be missing in the sense that 
maybe Zemo's plan ended up being a little more improvisatory than we were led to believe. Because so many things, like, when did he get what when? What did he get from that scene where he drowned the guy upside down? Uh, and what did he get from the all the little stops he made on the way uh, exactly? And Because was the video only... The video of him being uh, of Bucky killing uh, Tony's parents was that only in that Siberian prison, <laughs> the Siberian uh, uh, facility? Is that why he had to show it to him there? Uh, and well, he also, already, he already knew that happened. That's why he's doing everything he's doing, right? right? But I guess, but like, but, but 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 maybe not. Maybe he was trying to find a way. I don't know. But he knew that. Uh. Come I don't on. know, but you're right. I think he did know. He'd had to. Otherwise, there's no way he thought he could drive a wedge between them, because he just knows that he just knows that Cap cares about Bucky, and that's and he's got an in with Bucky. Now, what can he do with that? But like, because um, uh, he's exploiting the Bucky angle from the beginning. That's why he frames him. Right. And the biggest problem with that whole thing is that that whole showdown wouldn't have happened if Falcon hadn't given up to Tony where Cap went. And Zemo had no control over that. Remember? Fal uh, no. Fal Falcon, uh, Hawkeye, and Scarlet Witch, and Ant-Man are, are in the uh, prison un under sea. What do they call it? I can't remember. Um, and um, Tony goes out to see the, them. The and vault. The vault, yes. And uh, um, I knew it was a comic book thing that I, I should have known. And he convinces Falcon that he's just, he turned, he gets all the security camps turned off and says, I have to go there as his friend because he's going to need help. Where has he gone? And so Falcon breaks yeah. his promise and tells him. So that's how he, that's how Iron Man gets to Siberia. If Falcon had kept his mouth shut, then if they all climbed up and said, no, Tony, you're a fucking traitor. I'm not giving you anything. Um, Cap would have just shown up there and no movie <laughs> right yeah the plot makes no sense i mean the end scene is wonderful i think it's one of the better climaxes of the series because it makes it very personal it's it's a it's it it, it does it's the only one that doesn't end in a drone fight right uh, it's the only one that doesn't end with them fighting a bunch of chitari or uh you know ultron robots or whatever or a stronger yellower version of the or stronger, it comes down to what matters the characters the three the three characters and only the two uh, cap and tony cuz you know structurally tony is the antagonist of that movie and so like um that that is is that was that's one of the better conceived endings it's just zemo's yeah how did he know all that? And then That's we it. have one scene where Zemo suddenly is supposed to become the hero of his own story and we're supposed to find him sympathetic. Like, he's no killmonger, where that gets set up from from the word go with the character. Well, he's you know? no kill meaning Meaning we have one scene where like, oh my my wife died and my daughter died, and so that's oh. why I'm doing everything I'm doing. Well, like Well, I don't think well, it needs yeah. Sorry, I had to wait through two and a half hours of movie to find out that there was a reason. <laughs> Hope it was worth it for you. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, yeah, like, like, like Killmonger is a much more electric thing because he's driving right through, whereas this guy's trying to be a manipulator, you know, and at the end realizing I just, uh, uh, I, I don't know. You're right. 
I don't have the same problems you have with him, but I can certainly see why. <laughs> Daniel Bruhl's uh, much better in Inglorious Bastards as the sniper. Oh, right, right, right yeah. The Nazi sniper. Okay. I like anyway, it better as a you're Nazi. Number one. <laughs> I did. You're more um, sympathetic. <laughs> my number one... My number one... I hope I'm saying the name right. My number one is... Aisha, the golden high priestess of the sovereign from... Ah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, the Gold People. I, 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 you know what? I don't even have anything to say about her because I don't know anything and I don't want to know anything. The Gold People are just fucking boring. I don't give a shit. So, and if it, if that's not good enough to be my power bottom, here's my new power bottom: Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly is the bottom third, not super bad guy. He appears in Iron Man 2 on the TV talking about shit about Tony Stark. <laughs> so he's my number one not super bad guy. So don't you think it's cool <laughs> that the, I mean, I assume that the gold people don't have to wear gold contact lenses, which are extremely painful to the eyes. <laughs> and it's all just a digital effect. I like, I think that's so. cool. Like they have golden, their eyes are golden. Mm -hmm. And not too long ago to get that effect, like your performers would have to wear contact lenses, which would be very irritating and painful. And now they don't have to do that. That's very nice. I think that's nice. Yeah, but that's good uh, special effects. That's not good characters. (laughs) But it makes me, it gives me a good feeling when I'm seeing it on the screen. I'm like, oh, Oh, no one had to suffer to make that happen. That's nice. Well, you don't know that. You assume that. We'll have to look at the BTS I'm assuming that. I'm assuming that the technology is capable of that now. They might have given them uh, gold contacts with spikes on the inside. You don't know. <laughs> they might have. But they wouldn't have seen so serene. Yeah, I mean, true. it would have been... Uh, that's the CG and if, part. And if they, they, took if out they the did have spikes on the insides, the fact that they acted so serene yeah, and so mannequinish would have been a, such an achievement of the performer, I don't think. Um, <laughs> you should overlook that. I could also okay. Say, okay. I could also say my least favorite unclassifiable person is Moore, played by Danny Pudi in in uh, or I don't know how to say his last name. Danny uh, from Community. He has a moment in Captain America: Winter Soldier because the Russo brothers were instrumental in Community, so he has a brief cameo as somebody on a helicarrier, but they don't know or in the tricycle, you know, on the helicarrier. They just don't know. I, we don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy, but it was distracting. It was just distracting. Because I'm like, hey, it's... so I'm thinking of a totally another show. What does he do? Uh, he sees something's wrong on the sensor, and he gets up to the door and opens it, and there's Captain America, Falcon, and uh, Maria Hill. And they put a gun well, on Well, he's him. working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and he doesn't betray them, so he's yeah. a good guy. Right. As far as we know. Okay. All right, let's move on right. to action scenes. Action scenes. This is going to be a good category. Yeah. Okay, top action scenes. We got a lot of lot to choose from here. A lot. This this is a crazy category. So many sad ones that I can't include in there. Ugh. Okay, go ahead. You go first. You go first. This one I changed all around and around and around and around and around and around and around. And I I definitely I remember what your top three were. Last, Last time, time yeah. No, it has yeah. changed dramatically, except for the top one. The top one, I don't think will ever change. My number three okay. is the airport battle. 
That's a great action from, scene. From Captain America Civil War. It wasn't on there the last time, much to my surprise. Um, but the honestly, the more I, you know, uh, I, I wrestled really long and hard. And I realized it's too well choreographed. It's too well thought out not to be on there. So It's better than... Uh, at least two of the ones you said last time. So good choice. Well, the last time, last time I was just doing more of the straight action. Like I, I still love the overpass fight, the causeway for winter soldier, which was on there before. It's still one of the best action scenes and fist fights in any movie, I think. But um, yeah, it just, that was just really well done. Uh, the airport battle is a feat rarely to be seen again, I think. So yeah, that's why it has to be on there. All right. My number three is the assault on the helicarrier in Avengers. Ah, where yeah. a dude with a bow and arrow takes down <laughs> the helicarrier and it fucking rocks. <laughs> um, it's got so much going for it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's got all these pieces to it. There's, there's that there's, um, there's the uh, um, Black Widow and the Hulk business. Right. Um, There's Hulk going and on Thor. And the, the, like Hulk jumping on a jet and like <laughs> catching the pilot as he ejects where you find out, holy shit, Hulk's not only uh, as strong as fuck, he's got like reflexes. Yeah. His reflexes are jacked. Like, you know, you don't mess with the Hulk. And then, um, and then you have like uh, a little bit of technical surgery by iron man <laughs> a little bit he this is the, a major action scene where you're most essentially your most your bit your most popular character and most nearly one of the most powerful characters and it spends 20 minutes fixing a turbine and it's awesome but it's got to keep the whole thing i mean if yeah. the turbine fails they're gonna all gonna they're die, all gonna die. They're all gonna crash. so they Except gotta do it because you can fly right so yeah so like that that alone is awesome is that he is being a superhero. He's not. He's, they're not just showing him being badass. He's truly f- saving all these people. You get to see Maria Hill be the badass, while uh, uh, you know, while Iron Man is out fixing an engine. <laughs> and it's great. Also, I want to. Uh, uh, it just popped in my head the way they. And this this is the strength of a Marvel universe. They didn't bother explaining how Thor's hammer works the rules of, of Molnir or his hammer in Avengers, if they people hadn't seen Thor, yet they still used its properties to great effect and they just showed how it worked. It didn't, they just showed how it worked and there's a great, right. I love the scene when, when Thor's trying to calm Banner down as the Hulk and they have their first Hulk-Thor fight and I think Hulk hits something and Molnir fall, it falls to the ground and Hulk lands near it, and he looks over, and Hulk tries to pick up this little tries hammer. To pick it up. And he can't. He can't do it. He can't. And he's like, <laughs> he's Hulk's bad. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. No shit I can't pick up. I love that. And I love it that yeah. they, they, just, they just did that. You know, you learn the rules by watching it right. happen. He can't pick it up. Only, yeah. and then it's Thor just, hammer. it's a magic hammer. Yeah. Love it. It's just, it's so much going on in that scene. So wonderful. And also yeah. just in that scene, like Thor is used to taking on giants and trolls and stuff, you know, right. like it doesn't have to be said like, well, I fight trolls all the time. You just see, like he sees the Hulk. <laughs> he goes right at him. And goes you know, right at him. Oh, Thor 
Thor fights monsters. Like that's what he does. <laughs> that's what he does. Right. It's it great. doesn't need to be explained. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Wonderful scene. All right. Um my number two is the Battle of Titan from Avengers. That's Disney my World. number two. All right. Awesome. Yeah, just just in that's Avengers what com- Infinity War. That's the, what the comic big battle. book battles are. Yeah, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Star Lord. Most of Guardians of the Galaxy all come up with a plan to and take Spider-Man. down Thanos. Spider Man, Spider Man, Strange, Iron Man, Guardians, and it almost works. It almost works. They almost saved the universe. They were so close. <laughs> now. I do take it. Well, look, I know how it was all fun with everyone dogpiling on, on Chris Pratt for being the quote unquote secret villain of uh, Avengers: uh, Infinity War. Um, I, I, he's not a secret villain. Here's the: I, some people were so angry with that moment where he um, punches Thanos in the face. And yeah. like, come on, we've almost got this off. We've like it's just so stupid. They just got away, but. Uh, here's the thing. It's totally in character. You understood why he was upset. And that's what his character would do. It wasn't out of character. It wasn't... It was frustrating just because you go, oh, we could all... They could have almost won. But, you know, it's it's that... I don't know. I, I thought it was completely... F- Not only that. Yeah. It's in character for the Marvel Universe. Yes, it's in character for the Marvel because Universe. Because that's like... That's what that's the secret sauce. That's what Stanley like injected, like introduced into the idea of superhero stories is that these superheroes wouldn't always get along. And even on the like the same team, the Fantastic Four, yeah. they're not always going to mesh well, right? right? <laughs> and they're going to have competing agendas, they're going to have uh conflicting methods of, of right. working, you know. Um, some are more principled. Uh, some Peter are Quill more visceral. isn't even a competent leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> right. and you expect him to mesh well with Iron Man and Doctor Strange? Like it doesn't make any sense. Of course, he's not going to stick to the script, right? You know, and he's going to fuck things up. That's just, like like that's not just a Peter Quill thing. That's a Marvel thing. It's a Marvel like, thing. That's just, so yeah, that's just it how was, it works. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, and and just the use of the the the. The portals, having Spider-Man jump through Strange's portals, Strange multiplying himself, and we get to see all this, all this stuff happen. Um, uh, it, Peter Quill putting a bomb on Thanos and then jumping backwards, <laughs> through a portal. flipping the bird and saying "boom" as he goes through a portal. It's awesome. Is a, a moment my kids quote a lot. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful. Doesn't doesn't he like switch off his mask to? To say boom, I doesn't believe he, doesn't he, he like flip it out and just go boom? <laughs> but like, there's a moment, there's a moment that I think is one of the best comic booky. What makes it the best? One of the best comic book fights out there. Not only was the build of like having one person having Strange face off with him, have a conversation with him first, and then all the other guys are waiting, you know, in, in secret. But also when they when they get to the, the real heat of the meat part of the battle, you've got um, Strange. Um, Strange's last has, has energy lassoed one of his arms. Spider-Man has webbed the other arm. Drax is attacking the legs of Thanos. Um, the, the, the coat, 
or the the, the cloak the cloak of Levi, uh, the cloak of levitation. Yeah, the cloak of levitation comes My in buddy. and grabs one arm. Uh, Iron Man is fighting, and then Strange opens a portal and drops a mantis on top of Thanos to try to put him to sleep. Every it's it's one of the best team scenes outside of Aveng- uh, outside of when uh, Cap shows up, Cap and Falcon and uh, 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 Black Widow show up to, to to Scarlet Witch and Vision's aid in Scot in Scotland, which I think gets short shrift as being a really great team fight and a really great fight in general. But like, there's no better use of everyone's powers to try to take down one super powerful guy. Yeah. It's nope. the best. It's the best feeling of like these guys have coordinated and meshed their power sets right. and their abilities and like have have gelled at this right. moment. Somebody, then, I, no, I think that's it. I think that's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle. And like the fact that when people were look, looking forward to Infinity War, they probably weren't looking forward necessarily to Mantis. I kind of I was maybe, <laughs> but like Mantis <laughs> wasn't at the forefront of like their excitement for the movie. Yet without her. That plan wouldn't probably have worked, right? Without you know, and like and like yeah, no right. no character was like not essential to that. No character. That's why they save her. She's the ringer. She's the, the ringer. And like um uh like I remember someone said uh, I didn't like Mantis in Guardians too. I'm like, why didn't you like Mantis? She's awesome. He goes, well, she was just there as the thing to to the device for the planet. And I'm like, well, she's pretty fucking awesome in Avengers anymore. <laughs> Well, she's got like the, she's part of the, one of the best laugh lines in the movie too. <laughs> yes, of course. Hi, no sexual love <laughs> for her. I noticed there was some reviewer that really maybe we said this on the Avengers: Infinity War one. I don't remember, but there was some reviewer who was doing something who obviously was in love with that actress so much because they her name is Palm. Oh, I don't remember her last name, but um. They were leading the the review was reading off the characters' names. And it was like it was Quill, and then they go to the planet with Quill, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, and Palm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, no, that's that's Mantis. All right, great battle, one of the best ever. Yeah, I would say the second best ever. Ooh, what's uh, your number one? My number one is the airport battle from uh, Captain America Civil War because it's got so much going on. Um, it's got an, it's got so many like thrilling moments and like you think it's peaked and then it peaks again and then it peaks again. <laughs> um, and every character in it gets their own little character moment. Yeah, exactly. Which, if I went back and looked, probably happens in the Titan battle. Although I don't remember that is, I don't, I, I don't remember Drax like having a Drax moment in the in the Titan battle. But I no, definitely, I can, I could tell you like every character, well except for uh, Scarlet Witch, who isn't much of a character. But every character, every other oh. character in uh, in that airport battle, like has a has like a signature character moment that just like she does. allows them yeah. to shine. Right. But yeah. What is hers? What well, is doesn't hers? she, she drops out. She pulls all the uh, cars on the Iron Man while he's talking to, um, uh, Hawkeye. And then she That's also, cool. and then she also, um, throws Hawkeye off or black widow off of her and calls him out and saying, you're pulling your punches on, on, uh, um, uh, and she saves, she, she holds That's the black widow. Yeah, she pulls Black Widow off of Hawkeye 
makes her flies her into a brick into a wall because oh. she's like she's she's calling him out for fake fighting. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. You're not really right. into this, but there's a lot of there's a lot of um, yeah. Um, okay, she's got a lot of really cool stuff she does, but yeah, maybe not a signature character moment. Um, but um, well, she's not much of a character to be. Uh, I would disagree, but it's not enough to fight about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's. But yeah, that's that's my number one. I think it's I think it's. You're, you're I right. I think it gets better than that airport battle. There's so many things that happen, and, I, and I'm trying to save some some parts for later. But there are uh, so many things about uh, that. You're right. It peaks and then it peaks again. Like the Spider-Man, Bucky, Falcon scenes are just have yes. so many things in it that I that I just always wanted to see and always loved and. And it's tremendous. And then you've got um, there's a sh- there's shots with Ant Man picking Giant Man picking up uh, a, a something and fleeing and War Machine split you know taking it out with his guns as it's coming at yeah. him. Yeah. I, there's just there's so much, and I'm gonna I'm holding off talking about some things, but it's just there's so many. I and I and, and nothing gives me a bigger thrill than seeing people fight at ground level, and you see these. Big giant feet behind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. 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 Okay. What's your number one? I already know it. You already know it. Um, what I think to be one of the best car chases in the past decades and is uh, the attempt on Fury's life in uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. The, yeah. The where they trap uh, Fury, Hydra agents trap Fury in his SUV. And try to bash the window in till they get till they can kill him. They fail, and then a fucking kick-ass car chase happens. So yeah. many things in it that I've always wanted to see or do in movies, and they do it. And it's, I watch that scene all the time. It's just the part where they're they've set up the the battering ram on the window, and like, what's this? What's going on? And then the battering ram, and the the suspense that builds as yeah. Like the integrity of the window is failing and the all the systems are are, the, are are failing and he's like, Wait, wait. Yeah, wait. You know? Yeah. The, it gives me chills that's, thinking about it. It's that's a master class in in suspense direction. And and yeah. the, the what the information they give you um at particular times uh in that scene um is just phenomenal. I watch it all the time because like okay, not only not only that, but how cool is it that they reference the fact that his car had flight capability? He had a flying car. He had a Lola. Yeah. He has a flying right. car. But they knew that would be stupid to actually do. It wouldn't yeah. fit the movie. But in 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 Shield lore, you know, if Coulson has a flying car in Agents of Shield, you better damn believe Nick Fury have a flying car. But what better thing to build up uh, the tension of something? Than to acknowledge that he's got this great super thing and then take it away from him. Now what's yeah. he gonna do? Flight systems disabled. So they just quickly said, "You had this awesome thing that fans knew would expect him to have. We just took it away." And, and it the, lets you see his resourcefulness because he's exactly like, as all these things are taken away. He's coming up with a new plan immediately every and then time. having to discard it and a new one immediately. Yeah, every yeah. time. And then there's that great moment yeah. where where uh, he's doing the injection, the, the directing of it is great, where he goes, he goes uh, multiple fractures contacted, recommends anesthetic injection. So he picks up a thing, and as he stabs it into his, he, he takes off the cap, 
He stabs at his arm. And as he looks up, he sees all these police coming at him. So, and then as he looks around, he's looking around as he hears the computer say, Metro police cite no police activity in this area. Right. And right, then he's right. like, and it's given so fast and it's, but it's so effective. It tells you, it's like, it's, he knows that way they can get right to the action without having to question about how does he know they're not real cops or how does he know what the situation is like, there's no police in this area. These they're here to kill you. And then they set up that huge battery and that, that just the drilling of the feet into the concrete was just thrilling the way they shot it. It's yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, because it's not clear what's happening and then you find out, then you realize what's happening. What's happening. It, it introduces, it asks the question and then you get the answer. You get the answer. Yeah. And later that, that suspense. Yeah. And then some kick-ass turn scenes. And then, and then there's just these little bits that I love. Like, like when the cop is hang when the Hydra cop is hanging out of his police car window and they time it just perfectly with him trying to pull himself out to fire his gun at, at, uh, at, uh, Sam Jackson. And right as he does starts to fire the car, a, 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 uh, uh, Van passes in between them, so you hear the bullets go, you know, <laughs> you know, like the like 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 just things are keeping it from happening, and then that beautiful car wreck with the two cops, cop cars when he slams on the brakes and the Penske truck slams into them. It's it, which, by the way, more than one more than one time in that movie does a Penske truck take out a Hydra agent. So there's, it happens there, and it happens in the causeway when when the Winter Soldier grabs Sitwell and pulls him out to the roof or pulls him out the window. He goes ah, and then right at that moment you see that yellow Pinsky truck drive by and swoosh him just out of the back of the corner. You're like, wow, Pinsky is the harbinger of death for evil people. <laughs> Where's the I wonder how facility? Paid to get that placement, right? Exactly. Uh, so uh, I'll say this. Um, uh, other than the um, uh, Emil Zola, not, not Emil Zola, the uh, the supercomputer um, scene that I was talking about, Arnim Zola um, scene, that is the best scene in, yeah. in Civil War. And frame oh, for frame, it's probably the best action scene in the MCU. Yeah. And an all-time classic. Um, I probably docked it because it's not superhero-y enough. You could see yeah, it in any other... Like action movie right. or like spy thriller or something like that, and it would be awesome. Like it's it's an all time great scene. Yeah, the best car, the best action yeah. scene in the thing doesn't involve any, not even any of the major characters. Well, I mean, none of the, right. the headliners of the show, none of the superheroes. Yeah, it's a nice little moment. I mean, it's nice. It's a great, great scene. So yeah, no, totally. It's a it's a standout. So it's a, it's a and in a and, and a standout in a world. I mean, just just I you know I was trying to write these down. And listen to all these fight scenes. And I didn't even write. This isn't a complete list, obviously. Listen, the Battle of New York, the stairwell fight from Civil War, which was on my list previously, actually. I love that fight. I think that really just upped everything up. Cap versus Iron Man in Civil War. War Machine and Iron Man versus the Hammer Drones in Iron Man 2. The Battle of Edinburgh or Scotland in uh, Infinity War. Iron Man versus Thor versus Captain America when they first meet in Avengers. Doctor Strange's first um, Sanctum battle. Uh... Thor Ragnarok, Thor versus Sator, the opening scene with that. Uh, Thor, well, Thor and the Warriors 3, I don't know how you feel about that, versus the Frost Giants, still pretty cool. Hulk versus Hulkbuster, Black Widow, Black Widow tied to a chair, taking out those three, those, all those Russian operatives at the beginning of Avengers. Spidey chases uh, Shocker in the van in Spider-Man Homecoming. That's a great freaking action scene. 
Um, the Washington Monument in Spider-Man Homecoming. That's a great action scene. Black Panther in the Casino Showdown. That's a great action scene. Ant-Man versus Yellow Jacket. That could have very easily been on this list. Um, Black Widow's first hallway fight in Iron Man 2. The Mirrorverse scene. The Inception ripoff scene in, uh, in uh, uh, Doctor Strange. Rocket setting up all the traps in Guardians uh, Volume 2. Bucky's uh, brainwashed escape from Civil War and the split ferry from uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, it just keeps going. All these are really, really phenomenal sequences. And it's hard to pick. (laughs) But now we must pick the bad ones. Marvel movies are fun. Okay, let's do the bad ones. The worst three. What's your number? I've already alluded to it, so I'll go first. Panther versus Panther. At the, <laughs> yeah. What's well, supposed to be the climax of the Black Panther. It's just two two people with the identical powers and just different colors. That we can't It's make just them. not fun to watch. Yeah. It's not fun to watch. The choo-choo train, the glowing <laughs> choo-choo train scene. It just, the CGI was bad. It just wasn't. I just, I'd rather watch rhinoceroses with lasers. <laughs> Like take me back, take me back up there. top where the cool stuff's happening. I don't right. care about this fight. Yeah, I mean, Killmonger's bleed out scene in front of the sunsets, beautiful. But yeah, everything that was led fine. up to it was not but the action part. Action was... part was bad. Yeah, not not entertaining. Yeah, um, I'm gonna my my bottom three action scenes are are complicated because um, two of them are ones I really like, but. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, two of those are ones I really love, and but they have things in it that make the, that are unforgivable. So, uh, my bottom third one is Whiplash's attack at the Grand Prix, at the Santa Monica yeah, Grand Prix. That um, totally sucks, man. It's got a lot of great things in it. It's it's really well done, but they, these things are unforgivable. Number one, Whiplash's uh, power harness is not an Iron Man suit. Therefore, if you ram him in the legs with a car five times, his legs will break. Yes. He, his willpower his will power will go out. There. He doesn't just cough up a little blood. Oh, boy. I've got all my organs are shutting down because I've just been rammed against the concrete barricade by a fucking Cadillac about six to eight times. Um, no, that he's gone. This, no, there would be no suiting up. He's gone. Yeah. Dude's not even like bothering to put on like a Hanes <laughs> whitey, you know? Like, right, right. Um, also, the the glory shot of all the cars wrecking behind him as he's walking up to it. Uh, too over the top. Uh, Happy should have killed him and Pepper easily by driving against the Brand- Grand Prix. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> but there are a lot of really wonderful things in that scene, so I hated putting it here. But those things just ripped me right out of the movie. So well, I mean, awful. come on. Iron Man gets a suit. You can fly. The guy <laughs> you're fighting has a range of, what, 15 feet? Whatever. Right. We've seen you take out a tank at, like, 1,000 yards in the last movie. Right. But like, I'm... Just, just stay out of his reach, Iron Man. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, the reason why I'm more defensive of it is just because the point of the scene is very important. He's it's 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 the making God bleed scene, and it's 
it's really important. So it's got to stay low. It's got to stay in the ground. It's got to be a thing. But there's just the breaks the reality too much for my taste, sir. Please go on. <laughs> All right. My number two. Uh, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, Zemo torturing a dude upside down with his face in a dirty sink. We talk a lot about the tone of the Marvel movies and how that's what they really get right. Civil War has among the darker tones of all the MCU, and there's some justification for that, but then it has like really light, fun moments like the airport scene. And so mixing in like this torture scene in the middle for, to this movie that I've taken my six-year-old kids to see. Yeah, I know it's PG-13, but come on. Like Previously, the PG-13 is mean once in a while they'll say shit, you know? <laughs> right. Like, like, what's the scene doing in the movie? Like, why are you, why are you spoiling my fun, Marvel? I mean, not just the, the rating thing, which, by the way, the mummy's PG-13 included flesh-eating beetles, it said, it's part of the reason why it was PG-13. Um, uh, it's just the tone of the movie. It breaks the tone of the movie. Yeah. It doesn't belong in this world. No, it doesn't. So, yeah. Good bottom. Give me a cartoony, you know... Like, have some glowing device you put in his head, and that's how you torture him. <laughs> right? Go. Right. Something that not yeah. you, one child could do to his brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, right. You don't need any of that ideas. But that. <sighs> okay. You're number two. My number two, um, considering that I'm a defender of Iron Man 2, it's going to be strange that I have two Iron Man 2 things in my bottom two. But I, I love... I love the hammer drone fight between Iron Man and um, War Machine and the hammer drones. It was, it's, I love it. Uh, then Mickey Rourke comes in as the Crimson Dynamo and ruins it. Uh, I mainly don't like it, not only because he usually, they, they want to show it's Mickey Rourke, so they have him CGI's head pasted on there, and it just looks bad and really dumb. But the main thing is that it completely violates the character of Whiplash. This was exactly what he was... This is totally against what his plan was. To show up and just... And it wasn't like he was cornered into it. He didn't have to show up there. If Iron Man had cornered him into a fight or something like that, that's one thing. But like, he just flies in and now completely negates his entire reason for doing all this. So, I, I, I yeah, just bad... No, no bueno. <laughs> Don't like it. Okay. My number one worst action scene. The climax of Iron Man 3. Mm. Yeah. Super Pepper, Super Pepper Potts uh, was not feeling that. She... <laughs> I, I like Gwyneth Paltrow in yeah, this yeah. movie. I love her in I this I think movie. she's very charming. Um, I think her chemistry with uh, uh, I always want to say Morton Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> Bushwhack. Her mouth with Robert her. Downey Jr. I think yeah. it's good chemistry. I I I like her. Um, yeah, I do too. But she should not be a, have superpowers. She should not be in the in the fight. And um, or not that way. I the extremist thing. I've never. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't work. That's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is. Too many Iron Man. Yeah. Too many Iron Men. Too many. So if if we now accept that 
Iron Man can send his suits out, all of them, all of his past versions of his suits out into the world to do good, then like these flesh and blood heroes don't have to put themselves as at much risk because you would send the empty Iron Man suits instead and let Jarvis yeah. take care of the problem and first. If, yeah, why did Ultron could. even have to be made? Why did I, why did Ultron have to be He'd made? Already made like, it. None of it makes any sense, right? Right. And further, what made Iron Man 3 fun and compelling was that Tony Stark had to achieve a new level of inventiveness because he couldn't get access to his Iron Man suits right. because A, they were... Uh, the, the one was uh, depleted. The power level was depleted. He had to recharge it. He had to yeah. trickle charge it, right? Mm -hmm. And then we didn't know that his other ones could be summoned if only they weren't buried under rubble. Right. But am I to believe that they couldn't get out of that rubble from the attack at the beginning of the movie until like two backhoes dug them out? <laughs> it's 20 <laughs> Iron Man suits. They could blast their way out. Yeah. Like he could have, whenever he, when he was stranded for the meat of the movie, the interesting part of the movie, he could have summoned them to him at any point with a yeah. cell phone call. And so it, you've, you've, it's like yeah, one of yeah, those, totally. like you get so frustrated yeah. at the end of a movie when they undo the good parts of the movie yes. that came before. With a really lazy choice or a really yes. stupid writing choice. Completely. It's like, no. To I'll, all the sacrifices Tony chooses to make are meaningless if he can send right. his yeah, drones yeah. out instead. And they can do just as good a job as him. Yeah. Like, we have to believe that there's something about Tony in the suit that makes it special and possible to make good things happen. Or right. else the whole the whole enterprise is right is an empty shell. And the, yeah, exactly. I I mean that was what the point the hammer drones were kind of supposed to be making. And nope, we just undid it. You're right, exactly. And there's so many other logic things about that. I can't even remember if the fights are any good in it because there's so many logic things about it that are frustrating as heck. I mean, one, I mean, again, the end resolution of that whole scene. I I think harkens to a point of the movie's making which is actually quite beautiful and very interesting is that you've got a guy who's uh suffering from p p ptsd because he's he realizes there's no way he can protect the people he loves so he built all these weapons but then he realizes the only way to truly protect the people he loves is to get rid of his weapons that's the plot of the movie and it's really beautiful except the logic of it of him making uh, doing the the protocol to I forget what he called it to make them all blow up. He blows up all his armor, and then I just wanted them to say, "But that was our ride home, right?" <laughs> Could you <laughs> wait until we got home safely before you blew everything up? Uh, and, and, and that's also, a happy line. That's a happy <laughs> line. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, something else I wasn't um, I was shocked that no one mentioned um, in any criticism or comments or reviews or anything about Iron Man 3, which, by the way, was the biggest box office hit of all the Iron Man movies and almost of the entire series. It was a crazy big moneymaker. People really turned out for that one. And um, it's about Iron Man fighting disabled veterans. The 
villains, the bad guys that he murders, are disabled vets. So, snuck that one past this kind of, huh? <laughs> it's like, um, it's like Planet Terror. Exactly like uh, Planet Terror. It, but Planet Terror was slight, at the time, was going like, hey, look, all these people like, support the troops. So you got to support the troops. You're not against troops. And then this one is like, look, you know what? Okay, I'm going to make a movie where the troops not only are the bad guys. And not only are the bad guys, they're the worst people you've ever met. <laughs> and they want to kill you. <laughs> and no one mentioned it. No one made said boo. And I was like, well, that's really weird that nobody... Because they were also kind of, I mean... In Planet Terror, they were like they were also victims. Like they'd been so right. damaged by their service that right. it turned them into monsters. Right. Right. Well, psychological. Yeah. So it was kind of it was sympathetic in that way. In that way. Yeah, that rapist uh, that Tarantino played real sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to watch his his whole junk I mean, fall off in thanked, pieces. All right. They were thanking Bruce Willis for his service as they blew his brains to bits. That's right. I only saw it that one time. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, Iron Man three ended up doing the same thing. So it was, uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And yeah, really kind of put a really sour taste in your mouth. I that's the thing about the Iron Man three. Why I've never rewatched it again is that it's um, it 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 puts a sour taste in my mouth for some reason. It's not bad, but it, it just. It, it it feels a little icky for some reason. It's not a crowd pleaser. Did we hear your uh, number one? Nope. Worst your number don't, one? Don't worry, it'll go quick. My my power bottom number one uh, for uh, fight scene action scenes is the ending uh, Red Skull cap fight in Captain America: The First Avenger. Honestly, mm. it may be fine. I don't remember it. All I remember is uh, is the Red Skull getting sucked up by the cube, which I thought was interesting because it laid track for something in the future, but was a real real whiffer of a of a climax between two supposedly life was in the comics is like a huge it's Spidey and the Green Goblin, you know, it's the biggest person he'll intertwined with in terms of who he is, and yeah, it's just gone. It was. Real disappointing, but I can't tell you anything else because I honestly don't remember. <laughs> well, it ends with uh, it ends with Cap saying he's going to pilot the ship, and well, that uh, part's fine. Sacrifice himself, and that's you know that part's very beautiful. moving. It's parts very moving, but I'm just talking about the 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 final little struggle between or oh, action scene, that's... the action scene leading up to that when he once I... once Red Skull's gone and he's like, I gotta t- I gotta take this ship and pilot. That part's fine. Just everything else. Oh, it's real disappointing. I would call that the same scene. Okay. okay. All right. Non-action scenes. Non-action scenes. This This was was a hard one. This was really hard because there's so much good. Okay. Non-action scenes. Okay. Oh, boy. I got a lot of special mentions for this. All 20 (laughs) movies. We can't do it. No, we got to stick to the three. We're already going long. I can't. can't. We're already going long. We can't do it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. My number three. I'll drop it in later. Is <laughs> my number three is the second time in Ant Man when when uh, Lewis does his storytelling thing, where we get the flashbacks 
with him narrating the flashback, but the characters are lip syncing along. So the so end. earlier the end. in the movie, yeah. we had the first one of it where he gets the tip. We find out how he got the tip about the the, the safe, and uh-huh. uh, I went back and watched it, and it's it's way too slow paced because they didn't know how they how it was gonna work and like when they're filming the flashback scenes like it's it's the pacing is too slow and it can't keep up with Michael Pena's vocals right and so he's like deliberately slowing himself down and like it doesn't it doesn't quite work so but when they realize the potential of it they do it again Mm -hmm. you can like see the gears turning in the process right as you're watching it so they do it again for the end of the movie like you know realizing what they have and the second time they get it right where yeah. he's telling the story about how he heard about how ant-man's getting recruited to the uh avengers yeah, setting scene. up setting up his uh his involvement in the civil war airport battle right and they're like the pacing is like boom and like uh like all the actors doing the their parts in the flashbacks are like they're really over exaggerating to to set up michael pena's uh uh, ADR and um, and it just sparkles. It's so great. It's so funny, and it's like an example of uh, this assembly line process of these Marvel movies. Like, can have these like really personal touches or like mm-hmm. these moments that like seem really individual to this hero's franchise. Like, this is an Ant Man thing that you wouldn't see in another Marvel movie, right? Right. Um, it's like really fits like the personality of of the Ant Man movie, and it's, so it's 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 like giving it's like the director like taking like some free reign, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and like it really landing. In, you wouldn't see that in a Thor movie, right? Right. Brrr, you wouldn't even see it in an yeah. Avengers movie. Right. Although, well, you you might. Um, <laughs> Uh, but in the, like letting your your best cast member sparkle, like just like yeah. giving him a moment to shine, yeah. uh, and like what I'm also a set piece, which is like a necessary series of flashbacks. So it's a very weird set piece, um, but it's great. I love that movie, and it was just like, yeah, this is like this is why the Marvel movies are great is they allow themselves like this level of personality, yeah, um, in amongst all the the assembly line and all the you know. Uh, uh, tone managing and and plot managing and right. and action set pieces is like yeah we're just gonna take some time to to do give you this bit of pleasure yeah because so I love that yeah absolutely and it's well characterized in that in that uh, the, the, the very existence absolutely great my number three my top uh, of the top non action scenes is brave enough for you. From Captain America, the first Avenger. It's the scene where Tommy Lee Jones and Erskine are debating about... Um, Tommy Lee Jones and Stanley Tucci are debating that why Erskine has chosen... Is, 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 is gunning for Steve for the Super Soldier program and not the, I guess, the Flash Thompson stand-in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Tommy Lee Jones throws a fake hand grenade amongst their yeah. the jumping jacks. And then... That's Steve Rogers scene. jumps on it. It makes me cry every time. <laughs> Brave enough that's for what, you. That's yeah. what heroism is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's on my list. <laughs> Great choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. My number two top non-action scenes is in Infinity War, but 
it's a it's a Guardians of the Galaxy scene. It's <laughs> it, it it fits their tone. It's yeah. like a scene from a Guardians movie, but it's in Infinity War, and it's Drex <laughs> believing that he's invisible. <laughs> Which I've said before, uh, Drex like he's in my top three character yeah. superheroes just because he's such a comedy MVP. He's just so he's just great in every scene he's in. Yeah, but that. That's his funniest scene of all of his scenes. Oh, yeah. And it's such a non sequitur in this movie where half the universe is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dave Bautista's delivery is just so perfect. Yeah. Where, and the writing. I mean, it's all great. And everything, everything works together so well. <laughs> it's just like, I have perfected the art. I'm going to misquote it. But I can stand so still. And I'm invisible, and then he eats like a pistachio like, like or whatever it is. Zarg nut or whatever he's they called it. But like <laughs> the fact that he can move so slowly. Goes, and then I'm invisible. I'm sure of it. And then, and then the the best part of the scene then is when Mantis shows up. He's like, "Hi, Drax," and all she is doing is looking at Drax. Like, yeah, like she entered the room to say hi, Drax. Yeah, like she dropped into the ceiling because she wanted to look at Drax, and here she is looking at Drax. I do love Max and Drantis. Max and Drantis. Drax and Mantis. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, and it, well, also that whole scene is really good. The, everything preceding it, and part of the reason why it's so funny is that it's a great release from this scene we just watched of Gamora making Quill promise to kill her if she's captured. Right. And so it's a night. It's a wonderful release to that. But, but when you, it wasn't until I saw it the second time that that scene that that scene really sparkled for me. The real brilliance of of all the positions they're put into, and then Quill has that great line in that when she he says, "Look, if we don't kill Thanos, you know, you're gonna and I get captured, you have to kill me." And and, and he's like, "Why is your all your scenarios involve people dying?" <laughs> You know, and it's it's this wonderful moment that speaks to the to the theme of the movie too. Also speaks to Thanos's plan, like 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 your son said. Why why doesn't Thanos just make more resources? <laughs> just double the size of the just universe. Dude. Double the size of the universe. You're done. You know, you got the power. Do it. You know, it's like why does everyone have to die in this scenario? It doesn't have to be an option. And then he's responsible for everyone dying. So we're gonna. <laughs> but yeah, the whole scene's a great scene. Perfect. Great choice. I had that listed here too. In fact, I had yeah, I had it in my special mentions that I wasn't supposed to mention. Up. <laughs> um, my number two non-action scene is uh, the discussion on whether to sign the Sokovia Accords from Captain America: Civil War. The Thunder... that's a very rapid-fire scene. Kind of, it takes its time. It's a long scene. It's a very long scene. Well, first, well, first the scene. Well, there's a lot of points of view being expressed in this. Right. And everybody gets their say. Every one of the characters gets their say. And every one of their characters expresses two contradictory viewpoints. Like they, they, they both have two beliefs that don't, that are kind of at odds with each other. They can live together, but not, they can't square with each other. And I think that's brilliant. It's a brilliantly written scene. If you look at it, if if you go back and study it, it's it's brilliantly written, and that's it on the list. 
Well, maybe I should go read it. <laughs> yeah. It squashed out the snap and uh, the death of Peter Quill's mom and Gamora promising to kill. It snap pushed all those out. Okay, stop it. All right. <laughs> and Killmonger's vision plane and Stain ripping Tony's heart out. <laughs> and Strange being sown the multiverse. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. My number one, <laughs> taken from an iconic scene from the comics, the Steve Ditko, Stan Lee classic scene, Spider-Man trapped beneath the rubble, scared oh, yeah. at his peak of self-doubt, thinking he, he's trapped, he's frightened, he's, he becomes a little kid again, calling out for help, and then finds the Spider-Man in himself, finds the courage to believe in himself mm. and the will to overcome the mightiest of obstacles and come on, Spider-Man, come on, Spider-Man, and gets himself out of the rubble. It gets me every time. Yeah. I'm starting to cry right now, actually. Weirdly. I'm, I, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's Spider-Man in a nutshell, yeah. like, in, like in a real primal moment. Like, this is what sets Spider-Man apart. Yeah. Is that he always gets knocked down and he always finds a way to get back up. Which the Into the Spider-Verse captures so brilliantly. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Into the Spider-Verse yet? I'll tell you that story. I, uh, I, well, I finally convinced my son to go to the movies. I made him a tit-for-tat offer, which I thought he wasn't going to take. And he took it. So we went. And we went to Into the Spider-Verse. And... We made it about an hour, and I had to leave. <sighs> I, I didn't even get oh the spider gland. It, it got to see it. It it's killed so me because it was good. so brilliant. I was sitting there going, this is amazing. This is one of the best movies I've ever seen. I did not. I am amazed. And he's like, ah. he was into the action, but then whenever they were talking, he's like, nah, I want to go. And, and, and I go, Texas is really good. So he goes, um, I want to go. <laughs> and I'm like, are you really scared or are you manipulating me? And then after a while, I was like, I... I'm bothering the people around me by telling my son, you're not scared. You're going to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to just go. And it took a lot for me to leave because I, it was a, it was amazing. And so, uh, you know, honestly, that's... he probably would have made it if they hadn't shown 40 minutes of ads before it. So he'd been there an hour and 40 minutes and only saw an hour of a movie. And this was, we're watching all these trailers go by and, and Dex is like, this is my, my son, says he doesn't like movies because he knows I like movies. And so he's like, movies, bye. All movies must die. And I'm like, Dex. <laughs> and so um, he's got a, he's oppositional. And so we went and I, and I, and I, he said, this isn't what I thought it would be because we're watching so many different tra- ads and then trailers. And I said, yeah, Dex, they're running tons of ads and trailers. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you know, and he goes, ah, oh, it's okay. This is better than any movie. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know why I bother trying. <laughs> so I can't wait to see the rest of that movie. Ugh. Can I give my one? Can I give my one sentence summation of it, yeah, which sure. is not a spoiler at all? I think uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse makes a sneaky, successful ploy to position Spider-Man as the uh, preeminent superhero of our time. Wow. As uh, 30 years ago, it would have been a Superman story. And today it's a Spider-Man story. Oh, oh, that's, that's really interesting. 
I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Um, well, my number one non-action scene is also from Spider-Man Homecoming. It's the dad talk. It's the car ride followed by the dad talk before Homecoming yeah. dance. That's such a good scene. It's the most realistic scene in the entire Marvel Universe, I think. Keaton is in Holland and Liz, the girl who plays Liz, they're all perfect. They're all at the top of their game. As we talked about before, totally shocked the reveal that she's, he's her dad. Should, I, I, maybe we should have seen that coming, but they played it. So I did. didn't see it coming. And so yeah. that whole, it's in the beginning, you know, he's just the dad. He's just, you know, Hey Peter, you know, and everything's washing over him at that moment. Like, like the, the writing and the directing and, and Tom Holland are so good that, um, to, you know, when he is, gets out of that car and goes and well, you've already, you know, he's already decided because he's left his phone in the car You find out, but he gets out of the car and when he walks back into the prom or the, the homecoming, he, he knows, we all know he has to leave. And it's that Peter Parker, it's the life of Peter Parker, this. Yeah. This he can never not only can he not do or have the things that he wants in life, he can't even not hurt people. Yeah. There's no way. It's so tragic and but also the mastery of that screenplay and the performance to where how Adrian Toomes figures it out is completely believable. Yeah. He it it all I, lines up and he's like Oh my God, this kid in my car is the guy, is the, like, you know, it could not be him, right? Yeah, right. And then he turned, and to do that, that perfect Michael Keaton theory of when he's, when he's threatened him, doesn't have to point the gun at him, doesn't have to say he's threatening, he told him all this stuff, he goes, so now what you're going to do, I just say, and then he gets a parrot, you know, that parrot goes, I just saved your life, what do you say? Thank you. You're welcome. And then he says, now go in there and show my daughter a good time, but not too good. He becomes that dad. <laughs> He's still the dad. It's, it's, I think, the most realistic scene in the entire universe. It's, it's, it's so and, tense. And Michael Keaton is so good yeah. that in that car, Peter Parker has all the power, right? Yeah. Like he could... Yeah. He could tear that car apart. <laughs> right? And and, and Toomes doesn't have boat. his suit. He doesn't have his tech anywhere nearby He's as far as he has got a gun, know, but that right? wouldn't do he wouldn't be able to Right. Spider Man takes out people with guns all the time. Like right. you know, that's nothing to him. But Michael Keaton is so good <laughs> and he's so menacing. Yeah. And, and the stakes are so high for Peter Parker in that moment with everything he has to lose. People he can't beat up Liz's dad. Right, you know? it's Liz's that, dad. And that, 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 it's Tombs is so threatening. Michael Keaton is so threatening in that moment that he has, he takes all the power. He takes it all in that moment. Yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. <laughs> okay, Surpri surprising that the snap isn't on this on any of these lists because I don't know how more devastated I've ever been watching something in a theater, but. Yeah, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, or no, one we've already had. Uh, <laughs> bottom three. Okay. 
You liked it. I didn't. The Mandarin reveal in Iron Man 3. The fact that the Iron Man, that the Mandarin isn't going to be a supervillain in this movie. Oh, okay. And that it's a, a Ringo Starr <laughs> joke. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Mandarin looked like he was going to be a terrorist was already like, oh, really? Yeah, it was off-putting. And then, and then the fact that that was just like a, a distraction, like a sleight of hand thing. And like, oh, you know, like... I wanted an interesting villain in this movie, and yeah. now I'm not going to get one. Like, <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I mean, just... I could see that viewpoint. Basically, the structure was more the villain. It was kind of highlighting what we as Americans kind of, we wanted to see some Middle Eastern guy go down after what happened. And they're like, well, no, that's not going to, you're not going to get that. Do you know why? Because... Really, the person you got to be worried about are these white corporate fucks. <laughs> so, like, so why couldn't the Mandarin be like a white corporate fuck with some awesome magical rings? <laughs> right. It's just, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Okay, I see. It just seemed to sacrifice a lot to to gain very little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, the bait and switch is a great idea, but you replace them with a. You know, it's, they tried to do like like the the Achillean was the Mandarin because he breathe, could breathe fire like a man. It's like that's no, Ugh. stupid. Yeah, too trying to be too clever for mm-hmm. Shane Black's own good. Okay, that's my number three. My number three. I don't know how fair these are. This one doesn't really draw my ire that much, but I wrote it down. Is from Ant Man and the Wasp. Scott retrieving his trophy from his daughter's school. After rewatching oh, it again, that was, that was a com- silly scene. It's com- it's not the, the silliness isn't what bothers me. I see why they want to have that fun with it. It made me think of Inner Space a lot. Yeah, it but did. The real problem with it is it's pointless. You can take it out of the movie and you lose nothing. Yeah, you already got scenes about the regulator going nuts. What did they do? He went home to get the Ant Man suit. Right? Where do you put it? He put it in the trophy. I gotta go to the school. What happens when he goes to the school? He gets the trophy. <laughs> Some comic business. Some comic you know, business, get, but it's already you see him over, three feet tall. It's already over two hours long. Didn't need to be there. I, I just when I watched it again, I was it made me angry. <laughs> it's like this is a completely pointless date. <laughs> it makes you All feel right. like you're getting screen time with Paul Rudd when he doesn't have to be on set. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, any time with Paul Rudd is good. I'll give you that. But, I don't know. When I thought about it from a movie standpoint, I was a little irate. Anywho. Um, okay. My number two worst non-action scene. Dr. Eric Selvig, naked at Stonehenge. <laughs> from uh, <laughs> Thor Niflheim. Also known as Thor the Dark World. Um, you know, I, Dr. Eric Selvig was a character of integrity, even when his mind was being controlled by Loki. We didn't need to see that. <laughs> okay. Every, we all deserve better than the character, the, the actor. Character better. Yeah. Stonehenge. <laughs> all of us deserve better than that. It doesn't. It doesn't fit with the rest of, of the of the movie, even in a, a one of the worst uh, movies. It's still, yeah, doesn't belong there. It's a low point. 
real low. It felt like an eighty, like a bad eighties comedy. Yeah, like that scene. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> like I thought, we learned the lessons from not they, to do this. Kind were of they thing. gonna? They, they should have tar- had a bucket of uh, something fall on him, and then he rolled it and fe- with feathers blowing on him or something, and he runs around. Yeah. <laughs> like all we needed was like an old lady fainting to make that <laughs> seem worse, or or, or a guy looking at a booze bottle and throwing it over his shoulder, throwing it away. <laughs> <laughs> old lady fainting's better here. Um. Okay, my number two is uh, Janet Van Dyne talks through Scott and Ant Man and the Wasp. <laughs> you didn't like that? I didn't. It I, was weird. It was. It was weird. Uh, well, you know, it was weird. I really couldn't decide how I felt about it as it was happening. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just it. I could not decide how I felt about it because I'm like, well, it's not bad. It's not offensive. It's not this or that. But then I suddenly I cinched on why I hated it. Part of the excitement of this movie to me was how monumental it would be to get Janet Van Dyne back, the, her mom back and, and his, his wife back. It's going to be a huge monumental moment in something that's inconceivable. You would think so. You would think so. It doesn't end up feeling that way. But, no, okay. at no point, at any point where they do it, 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 it doesn't seem monumental. It doesn't seem hard. And it doesn't <laughs> seem uh, like, like she's in the quantum realm and they just walk up to her. What? All right. <laughs> and we know right where she is in the quantum realm. You'd think like it would take right. longer to explore the quantum realm at that size than like imagine like she's in Asia and then you like go right to the spot in Asia where she is. Like it right <laughs> or like she's, it doesn't make she's on a dandelion head somewhere in the world and they just go first dandelion. There's we walk up to her. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, and and so the thing was was that I was really hoping I'd get some sort of big payoff of Hank and Hope meeting their mom, and the first time we get it, it's through a quasi comic relief scene with Paul. Paul Rudd gets the moment, and not Janet, and then all these other the other characters are trying to they they the characters got robbed of that moment too, you know. Because it was they were looking at Paul Rudd, and so I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, the fact that I could not figure out how I felt about it was really distressing. So that's my number two. Plus, like we need more Michelle Pfeiffer screen yes. time. Come on, I was so excited for that, and yeah, no. Okay, my number one worst non-action scene <laughs> was Cat Denon and the intern. Watching Dr. Eric Selvig naked at Stonehenge on TV. <laughs> because we've already seen this scene earlier in the same movie. Why are we watching it again? Like, if we needed to see that these two characters saw it happening, then this should be the only time we're seeing it. So right. I guess this should be my number two see and the other one should be number eyes. one. Right, yeah. It's funnier to say it this way. But, <laughs> it's way funnier. Like, we didn't need to see it as we are there and then later see it also on TV. Like, right. we only needed to see it on TV. Yeah, let it just be there. It didn't need to be there at any point. But, <sighs> but he didn't need to be a ranting lunatic at any point. And right. His, his, him not wearing pants is never funny in the movie. <laughs> That's right. It's hard to have a scene where Kat Denon isn't funny. Yeah, or, she's great or in charming. She was she was in my top five non superhero good guys. Yeah, uh, 
she's great, but she's given so many lame scenes. Yes, and she's uh, she's that like she's expected to carry right that that really sandbags her, and that was one of them. I concur. My number one bad scene, not action scene, is the Randy's Donuts scene from Iron Man Two. Um, I don't remember this at all. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. It's so about two, three quarters of the movie, or whatever. Uh, Iron Man's at his low point, and then Nick Fury strolls up and says, "Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave to exit the donut because he's sitting in the big donut." And then they go inside the donut shop and completely remove all stakes from the movie with a discussion. And it's the reveal that his new assistant is actually Black Widow. She just walks up in her shield outfit, which why would she do that? And we've secured the donut. We've secured the donut. And he's she's like he's shocked. And they sit down and Nick Fury lays out, tries to just have some common speak with him about it, Nick. It's the one time Nick Fury feels like a fucking cartoon. And then Black Widow stands up. And gives him a dose, which I, when I'm rewatching it recently to, for this, they said it wasn't a cure, which every time I've seen it before, it really feels like they just go, all right, now your blood toxicity problem's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but they say it's going to stave it off. It's not going to cure it. But then they never address it again in the movie. It's not a problem. Oh, except for the trillium, the, 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 um, or rather, the the new element he creates that doesn't poison his blood. But they don't. They, it's this. No, 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 it's gone. And so every they systematically undignify and just take away the uh, conflicts of the movies one by one. Just, just all of a sudden, just go. Oh, well, that's not a problem anymore. Boop, 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 boop. Destroying the themes and destroying the the tension. And so I was like, you know what? This scene sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We did right. worse scenes. All right. Uh, Wade. Yes. I, I'm really enjoying this discussion, but I'm I, feeling, I'm feeling a bit trapped under the rubble of fatigue. Well, th- this these... has been a three hour recording session already, and we have three more categories to go. Well, these two sentiments are at odds with each other. I do. I reject them both. <laughs> and by three categories to go, I mean three categories where we're going to do our top three and bottom three, each of us. So it's really mm-hmm. like 12 categories. Yes, an hour category. I get you. <laughs> I think we're going to have to do a part three. Oh, you're I telling me. I think I'm going to need to take a moment to collect myself and say... Come on, Siggy. Come on, Siggy. And lift myself up out of this rubble so I can continue this excellent discussion. And I'm going to say, now you go in there with this podcast and you show my daughter a good time. But not too good a time. No, I'll quite get that. (laughs) Exactly what I intended to. So what you're saying to me is that after teasing that we'd be doing a part two to complete our top three, bottom three of the Marvel Universe, we are going to have to bestow upon a willing public more content in the form of another episode? How will they ever forgive us? They won't have to. (laughs) Oh. 
we will be the podcast that our listeners need, even if it's not the podcast our <laughs> listeners deserve. <laughs> I was going to say want. <laughs> or want. Or want. All right. Well, cool. Well, then uh, look for our new part three of the uh, discussion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In At which, some point far in the future. At some point. Hopefully it won't be another eight months <laughs> between <laughs> this and that recording. Because we also have more Intonation Game to come. More Trilogy of Trivia uh, with uh, Siggy, Todd, and your old broadcasting partner, Hugh Jasper. Yeah, there's a little tease for <laughs> the four of you who know who that is. But oh, I'm sure you would I mean, appreciate four that. Four of you who have listened to this and listened to Sucks to Your Asmar on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago, from the years 1993 to 1996. Where we play the hits. Not even that long. So. All right. Well, great. So you can catch us on Twitter at uh, You Watched It Wrong, spelled with a U. We're on Facebook, spelled You Watched It Wrong with a Y-O-U. And we're on this device you're listening to right now. So stay tuned. You should give us a rating on iTunes. Last time I checked that we had no ratings and it made me sad, so I haven't checked in a long time. Put a rating there so the next time I check, I feel good. It's up to you to make us unsad. And what would really mean most of us, because Facebook is evil and Twitter is full of evil people, is just to email us directly at youwatchedwrong at happypanic.net. And if you try to fly faster than the speed of sound without being in a jet or an iron suit, you mocked it wrong. <laughs>